Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Adios, bozo. This time I'm downloading you straight into hell. We are finally, finally back for yet another actual episode of Anime World Order, show number 72. I am Clarissa, and as always, with me are my two co-hosts. <coughs> oh, you cough, that means you... <laughs> I'm Gerald Rathkolb, and I'm enjoying the last few days of me being called Gerald Rathkolb before I legally change my name to Laser Fantastic. It has been decided. Laser Fantastic is a phenomenal character name. And, yeah. uh, even Yoshiyuki Tamino couldn't have come up with a better name than that. I am Daryl Surratt, and I am counting down the days to being annihilated by Hurricane Ike, which as the time of recording has actually been downgraded to Category 2 instead of Category 4. So maybe it's oh, not going to murder me after all. However... We'll just stab you in the side and just leave I you, live right so. next to Home Depot and Lowe's. So it's just traffic and nightmare, <laughs> just to do the yeah, simplest thing. <laughs> right. And right after we finish this recording, I have to drive to Orlando for a going away party, maybe, where we can sit and watch people play Smash Brothers Brawl. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yes, Gerald is anti-Smash Brothers. I own yeah, Smash I... Brothers and Smash Brothers Brawl, and maybe Smash Brothers... Oh, no, I definitely own Melee and Brawl. I can't play any of them, and so when people play really? these games... Yeah, I can't play them to save my life. I'm so terrible. Smash Brothers is pretty easy. That's why I feel bad, because this is a game for <laughs> six-year-olds. I've got both of them in my house due to my roommate, and she has tried to teach me to play these games, as well as her boyfriend, and I just cannot get into them at all. They annoy me far too much. I think it's more just, I can't see what's happening, as opposed to, I can't actually figure out what to do. I also can't figure out what to do. That is kind of the big problem with Smash Brothers. It does kind of get a little confusing sometimes. I can see what's happening, but I think the problem is, is that everybody that we know who plays this game is a crazy maniac. Has, who has been playing game. it since the Nintendo 64 days. Right, right. And is therefore a Smash Brothers master. They are no fun to play with, and they will all be there tonight, and that's all they will be doing, and so that's not going to be any fun. Therefore, we shall not be talking about Smash Brothers. So you again. are with Smash Brothers how I am with every other fighting game, which I can't I'm, play I'm them at all. I'm like because that with every other fighting game, though. Everybody I know, like you, Gerald, and all these other people that live around us, are really good at fighting games, so I can't play fighting games against anybody, because I, I will just either. lose. I was trying to play that Fist of the North Star game, and I could not do the quarter circle motion at all. <laughs> I was like, wow, I used to be able to play Street Fighter. That was 15 years ago. I've tried to play like the one-player modes where they teach you how to play the game, but every one-player mode ever in every Smash Brothers game is awful, unplayable, and boring. So the only option is to play with other people. I heard the one in Brawl is supposed to be pretty good. I haven't no, tried it. It seemed all right, but it also didn't seem like it was the game either. It seemed like they made a whole separate game for single-player that has nothing to do with actually playing the game. Ah. Uh. 
So what are we doing this month? That is a good question. Well, I am uh, reviewing a manga by one of my favorite Boys Love Manga artists, Motoni Motoru. There's a lot of really good series that she's done that I could talk about, but the one that I'm talking about I chose because it's actually been released here in English, so you could conceivably go and buy it in a language that you can understand, provided you're not fluent in Japanese. And that is... Dog style. Which there's two volumes out so far. How many volumes are there total? It's, I believe it's three volumes. Last I had uh, looked, it was ongoing, but I think maybe it actually did finish. Okay. I guess that's all really I was interested in. I thought you were also interested in knowing that Yasuomi Umetsu has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was really hoping. <laughs> Misleading but, yeah. from the title, I know. Yeah. It would kind of be interesting if he suddenly decided to start doing Boys Love. He's too busy writing a sequel to Kite Liberator. <laughs> well, look, I, I wish I was in a situation where I could basically just make whatever I wanted whenever I wanted and never had to work like right. him. I guess continuing with the uh, tradition of sleaze, I'm going to be reviewing one of the sleaziest things that anime has ever made. Kind of the winner of the how the hell did this ever get a sequel? Sequels. Three se sequels, multiple sequels awards. I think the answer to that question is titties. I'm pretty sure. There's there are shows other where you things, actually but... can see titties, though. Yes, mm. and they didn't get sequels, but this got multiple sequels, and this is, and I'm just going to be reviewing the original, because the original, believe it or not, is the best thing that ever came from this, the 1991 OAV Burn Up. Big guns, big busts. What a double entendre. Not to be confused with the Pizzolero tagline, which is big guns, big booty. Oh, I'm not familiar yeah. with that. Randy Stewart is a guy who did wedding videos, but he also made like amateur films and stuff back in the days, like the mock trailers and that sort of thing. So for anime hells and that, he had one called Pizzolero, which was basically making fun of Desperado. Oh, which is this uh, movie with Antonio Banderas. Right, right. And uh, in this case, it was like the idea of he's the pizza delivery guy and he opens up the pizza box and there's guns inside and he starts shooting everybody. It's pretty funny. Of course, what the most important thing about Burn Up is not the show itself, but the dub. But that's a whole <laughs> other thing we will get to. We're only going to talk about the dub for Burn Up. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, there, there is no Japanese version. They made it in English and that's it. <laughs> but anyway, to keep with, I guess, the trend of reviewing old OAVs that are generally forgotten, this is a case of one I actually like quite a bit, and it did not get a sequel. Aww. Because there were not tits or anything like that. This is yet another masterpiece from the great man known as Yoshiaki Kawajiri in conjunction with the studio Madhouse. This is the 1990 three-part OAV Cyber City 080808, which is... Something that you don't really hear people talk about very much, even though it's actually pretty good. Uh, we'll talk about why that is as the get to the reviews. So, I'm sure that some of you will have lots of comments about the things that we talk about in this episode. If you would like to share those comments with us, there are a couple different ways you can do that. You can go to our website at www.animeworldorder.com, where we always post show notes about each episode, and you can post comments directly in response to the show notes post. You can also send us an email at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Or, if you really, really want us to hear what your lovely voice sounds like, you can leave us a voicemail message at 
for AWO. Speaking of people sharing their thoughts with us, uh, I think we have some emails. Yeah, we actually have the email inbox that is now down to a mere 250 messages Woo! when it used to be like six or 700. So we are making progress, sort of. <laughs> bit by bit. One way or another, as the song from Fletch goes. That is an awesome so song. I, I bought that off of iTunes. Truly, and, and then <laughs> iTunes wouldn't let you yeah, carry it wouldn't. over to the other computer. I bought it on my laptop. My laptop died, and I can't get it anymore. And people have emailed me saying, oh, all you have to do is reauthorize it. No, it doesn't work. It's gone. It says you downloaded it, and that's it. Thank you, iTunes. They erased it bit by bit. Bit by bit. Let's actually play a voicemail, since we haven't done so in quite a while, at least as far as uh, responding to one. A lot of times we'll throw them in as interstitials if uh, we figure it's not actually asking a question. So uh, I've got one here. It's ready to go. It's from April. <laughs> That's kind of recent. who wrote it is it's probably September not now dead. as we're recording this. So. Hey, guys. This is Hans Otterson from Seattle, Washington, calling in. I called before about asking about Gundam and which Gundam series to start with. But as I listen to your show more, I just hear more more about giant robots. And so I want to know, I've watched Evangelion, I've watched Giant Robo. But I want to know, where do I start just with giant robots, with real giant robot shows? So I figure if I keep calling in and pestering you guys enough, you'll actually play this on air. So where does a sort of new anime fan start with a good, real, giant robot show? Thanks. Hmm. All right, I think what he's trying to say when he says real giant robot shows is not to say like, oh, that giant robo sure sucked. What is the real giant robot show? Hmm. I'm pretty sure we were talking uh, in the past in the other Mecha episodes, putting forth this distinction, saying one type of robots were called super robots and another type of giant robots were called real robots. And I think what he's asking us is, okay, giant robo is more the super robot side of things and arguably Evangelion as well. What's something? to watch as far as hmm. real robots are concerned. Before we answer this question, just real quick reiteration, super robots are the kinds of giant robots that just sort of can do anything and they aren't really that concerned about the laws of reality or as far as giant robots are concerned. They just kind of work. Like Voltron, yeah. super robot. Blazing Sword, where's it come from? Oh, he puts his hands together and Blazing Sword shows up. That's yeah, all I need yeah. to know. Real robots are more like they try to explain in the show, like, oh, this is the reason why this robot can work, because it's right. blah, 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 It could science. be just as powerful as a super robot, but if there's an attempt at an explanation or science behind it, yeah. then I guess, yeah, then, real yeah. robot. I'm not really real sure if that's what he's so, asking yes, have, or not. It's kind of difficult to tell. It's difficult to tell yeah. from the way he's phrased real his question. Robots. I'm just inferring that based on the context of I watch watch this stuff and i heard you talking about gundam and stuff like that what are the real giant robot shows i should watch so i should assume he means he's heard us talk about gundam what are some of the real robot shows he should watch of course mobile suit gundam is kind of the right. torchbearer for real robots in general it's yeah. a show that really sort of started uh, i guess made prominent the concept of the real robot yeah i would say more so the movie trilogy of the original yeah. series than the original television show which was very much still in keeping with that super robot formula and they kind of tweaked that a bit for the movie compilations it's one of the only times where people would generally say watch the compilation movies instead of watching the whole I would show. agree yeah. I like the movies a lot there are I disagreements think, I think about that start... but I would also suggest starting with the movie and then if you're really yeah. interested you can watch the television series to see what got left out but there's definitely a lot of crap that got trimmed out. Yeah. The other big torchbearer for the real robot genre is Armored Trooper Votoms, which if you think Gundam needs to be a little more realistic, Votoms is one of the closest in terms of this is how a robot would be if somebody needed to 
They use it for a war machine. Yeah. It's not like this invincible thing. And it's not that powerful, but it is more powerful than, say... Punching someone. So <laughs> Yeah, because this one's got like a bullet when you punch yeah, into yeah. somebody. Yeah, Votoms, I like Votoms a lot. It, it's dark, it's gritty. It's a, just a different approach to real robot shows. I would say the easiest Votoms to get right now would be the new Votoms, which is called Armor Trooper Votoms Piles and mm-hmm. Files. This is being fan-subbed right now. Ten episodes, I believe. I th- uh, no, it's 12 episodes. They've all been fan-subbed. You can watch the episode. Can people watch that if they haven't seen Votoms, It's though? a prequel, so the answer is I would yeah. say yes. I think there mm. are things they sort of reference that they're like, oh, you know, maybe there's terms like perfect soldier or whatever that are kind of important, but not really so. Chronologically, it happens before the TV show, and it okay. is got a lot more new animation. It's made this year. I would say one of the main roadblocks to people getting to Votoms is it's a pretty old show, early 1980s. Yeah. Other roadblock is that it was a CPM release. It's kind of hard to yeah. find. So I would say if you can watch this new series for Piles and Files and you're like, oh, this is interesting. I'd like to see more of that. Then, yeah, go ahead. Check out the TV series. Hunt down the OAVs if you can. Those are kind of fan sub only mm-hmm. as well. Don't watch those OAVs, those old OAVs, until you watch the TV show because those happen after the yeah. TV show. Other great real robot Macross. stuff is very Macross real robust. Is, yeah. um, again, that's very available today. You can buy the SDF series, ADV released that. Yeah, as well as Harmony Gold. Yeah. I mean, I remember I bought the entire show for $30, $40 through the Harmony Gold website. Maybe they still have a couple of those boxes left. Maybe not. But ADV definitely has the Macross box yeah. set. I believe right around the time this recording is going to come out, they are about to do a complete series yeah. box for Macross, the original show. I highly recommend it. It hasn't aged as well as I would have hoped at times, but... It's still a good show, really, Yeah, it's not as easy to jump around. Like, I guess you could just straight up go and watch Macross Zero. Uh, not Macross Zero. I would say no. don't no, ever no, watch Macross no, 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 Zero. Wait, wait, I was wrong. Macross <laughs> Plus. I got that wrong. Macross yeah. Plus. Yeah, you can okay, watch just thank Macross you. Macross Zero. And never watch Macross Zero. Don't, don't watch Macross Zero. Zero. Terrible. And Frontier, we don't know. It's up and down. There are two episodes left, and I have no idea whether or not this is actually going to come together or yeah. not. I know they're saying 25 episodes. People are sort of hoping, oh, maybe they'll expand it like they did the other ones, but all the press yeah. I've seen in the Japanese releases are saying 25 is final. Whether or not they'll I do mean, like Frontier a- is pretty much the Macross formula, so it'll definitely give you a good idea of, like, what are Macross shows about? Well, okay, they're about people flying and transforming robot fighter jets and blowing the shit out of things and pop music saving the universe. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. We will need to see how it ends to really say overall Right. Macross Plus is, is four but... episodes. You can watch it pretty much in one day, start to finish. Yeah. Very and so good. you can quickly tell, okay, I'm gonna like this based on Macross it really Plus. Doesn't... Since that's the easiest yeah, thing it really to doesn't watch. require any knowledge of anything else you can go straight into it it helps if you know other things you've got references to the macross and all that you don't have to nah, yeah. one other show that's a little bit less popular but is still available over here is pat labor i was actually yeah. about pat to labor, say pat is, labor of all of these shows it's probably the least robot of a robot show We've yeah. reviewed yeah. Pat Labor in a couple previous episodes. If you head on over to the website and click the review index, we have reviewed Pat Labor, the uh, first movie, as well as the second yeah. movie. But I do strongly recommend Pat Labor. That was kind of like my big purchase at Otakon, was buying all of Pat Labor yeah. finally to replace my old VHS tapes. Sadly, not as popular, but a very character-driven series. 
which is why I thought that the third movie was a failure. You can still buy it. It's one of those things that CPM had, so if you see it, buy it, because it probably won't be seen ever again. Between those shows, that's a pretty good uh, yeah. foundation as far as There's real also, robot stuff. Um, right now, they're about to start the second season for the new Gundam show, which is Gundam 00. I would advise against just watching 00 without maybe watching the original Gundam trilogy first. I mean, I know you don't need to. I'm just thinking, like, some people don't like the older shows as much. The 0079 movies have aged really well, I think. I know what you mean. I would say that of the new Gundam shows that kind of are closest to the original Mobile Suit Gundam series formula, Gundam Seed is actually a closer retelling than 00. But Gundam a little Seed different. is terrible! No, Gundam Isn't Seed it? Destiny is I didn't terrible. I like Gundam Seed. The okay. original Gundam Seed is actually very oh. good. But the compilation movies for Seed, Seed Destiny, Zeta, all that stuff, they're not really that good to check out. Double O is a bit of a time investment, is all I'm saying, compared to the I think with the original movies, I think they're the best. I didn't care for Gundam Seed that much, but I think start at the top. Well, you don't even like Gundam in general, Yeah, you don't like Gundam at all, period. You hate Yoshiko Tamino. I do, but I do like the original movies a lot. And I think that the original... I mean, can you argue that the original movies are probably not the best that Gundam is? The third um, movie especially. I, don't know I think that the third movie is probably the... You said not the best that Gundam is. I think Zeta has some moments that kind of beat out uh, a lot of parts in the original thing. It's just you have to know what's going on in the okay. original thing. For the, for, for the time Zeta. investment and the quality, I think that the original movies are the best bang for the buck. As far as story, maybe. As far as yeah. characters, I'm not so sure. As far as action, definitely not. But it's a good balance. So generally, that's why yeah. people keep saying, if you want to start at the real robot stuff, just start with Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah. We got any other emails? Yes, we've got an email, and this one is from a very, very angry Stacy, and it's titled, Bargains, 35mm, and Sweet Revenge of a Lowly Girl. Hi, AWO. Here's another long email, which I certainly didn't expect to be read on the show. Please don't fret about not reading emails on the show. I know what it's like to receive way too many emails that you can never respond to. It's always nice to know you're there. I finally got Crusher Joe off a torrent, and it was, of course, excellent. And just for you, Daryl, I bought New Getter Robo as the entire series box set was only $35, and I enjoyed that enormously, especially the last few episodes. And an even better bargain, I just bought the box set of Genesis Climber Mospedo for $15. $15 for 25 episodes. I'd almost buy any show for that price. And it's quite a good show, except for the predictable 80s sexism, as opposed to the sexism we've all got now. And of course, Mint, the insufferable whiny 13-year-old girl who only wants to get married and who I really hope dies soon. Something I'd like to hear discussed on the show is your collective experiences while watching anime theatrically. You've mentioned it briefly in previous episodes, but I'm curious about what opportunities you have or have had with seeing anime films in theaters or on 35mm. Living very close to Melbourne, I've managed to see many films at festivals and repertoire theaters. I imagine she means Melbourne, Australia? Yeah, she's written in before. Melbourne, Florida? Among the most memorable was a screening of Night on the Galactic Railroad about six years ago, where there were about eight people in the theater. Sitting right behind me were grandparents who thought it would be a great idea to bring their three grandsons, all under ten, to see what was obviously a cute children's cartoon. Oh boy! (laughs) Yeah. Naturally, the kids whined throughout how boring it was. Sitting right next to me were two serious Japanese guys who were really studious fans of Kenji Miyazawa, and who were taking this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see a film in a cinema very seriously. Best of times, worst of times. 
She continues, It's not anime, but an animated film I highly recommend is the 2007 Danish film Princess, which is a wonderfully demented story about a priest who sets out to destroy all pornographic images of his deceased porn star sister while taking care of her young, scarred daughter. Wow. I love this film for a number of reasons, most especially for an incredible scene that Hard Candy was Hard too Candy was not that include. good of a movie. Mmm. Yeah, where a five-year-old girl smashes the genitals of a man who'd been sexually abusing her with a crowbar. Wait, was she se- was he she sexually abusing her with a crowbar, or did she smash the guy's genitals with the crowbar? I, th- I think she smashed yeah, I think his genitals with the crowbar. there's some subject-verb uh, agreement issues with that yeah. sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the worst sort of messing up. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. She sounds very angry here. She says, you know, take that, pedophile scum. That's what I goddamn want to see happen in anime someday. So I'm fucking sick of this lowly moe bullshit. She's an angry, angry lady. Anyway, I hope you're all doing well. Thanks for I reading, I actually think Stacey. that Yoshiaki Kawajiri is probably heavily influenced by Night on the Galactic Railroad because that is one of the most heavy uses of the color blue I have ever seen in a film. And almost every Kawajiri <laughs> thing that he ever made, up to maybe about Ninja Scroll, blue is the predominant color. So I like to tell myself, he saw Night in the Galactic Railroad and was like, yes, and now Wicked City. <laughs> well, he does like to set stuff at night all the time. So, yeah. Um, as for our collective theatrical experiences in anime... Probably little to none. I mean, the only times I've really gotten to see anime in the theater is when they do those very limited releases of the Miyazaki movies. Like, I saw Princess Mononoke in the theater. I saw Spirited Away in the Mm -hmm. theater. I saw Howl's Moving Castle in the theater. And that's about it. As far as seeing in a theater with, like, a film projection print of a movie that's mostly my lump sum experience of seeing theatrical anime like i didn't get to see vampire energy bloodlust in the theater i didn't get to see the cowboy bebop movie in the theater ghost in the shell innocence i didn't get to see that i did see steam boy in the theater but the dub mix like we said when we interviewed mark handler is such that you can't actually hear anything that's being said it's a terrible movie anyway yeah it is it's very pretty at least that's really all it is Clarissa and I, we did go and see, like, the Fathom events had some anime events, but those turned out to be kind of a bust because they were held on a weekday. They were $10 a ticket. The movie was dubbed, and it was not even a film print. It was just, like, a digital transfer, so it did not look very good being blown up on a theater screen. We went to see Castle Cagliostro, I remember. There were, what, four people in the theater? Six? Maybe eight? Something like that. And yeah, I've seen like Bloodlust in the theater. I think we went to see that twice or something. I think I only Um, went once. Another movie where the audio mix ranges widely between super loud and I can barely hear what they're saying. Yeah. That might have been just the theater you were in. No, no, I've I've only, I've never saw it in the theater. I saw it on DVD. Hmm. Years later, I did download the Japanese one because in America, we only have the English dub only version because that's the original language of the movie anyway. I just was like, "Eh, I'm curious. Let me see how they dub this movie into Japanese. Yeah. They were going to release a redone DVD with a Japanese track, but I don't think that ever happened. No, no, it didn't. I don't think the Japanese track, the audio mixing, was quite as wildly disparate as the English side of things. Because I remember every time I'd watch that movie, I'd have to keep fiddling with the remote between like, oh, dialogue, and then, oh, action scene. Volume goes way, way up. Kind of annoying. I might be cursing myself for saying this because I was in a desperate state when I was in the Virgin Islands, because being an anime fan on the Virgin Islands is incredibly hard, but the first anime that I ever saw in theaters, can you guess what it was? Overfiend? No. no. <laughs> Not that sort of desperate. We're talking late 90s Pokemon here. the movie? 
Pokemon the movie. And I didn't even like Pokemon, but it was anime in theaters, and I just needed to see something in theaters. That and is there was true. Nothing the, else. America did get the theatrical releases of like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh mm-hmm. and uh, Digimon and that sort of thing. I didn't see any of them though. Yeah, I saw the I, Pokemon was, movie, yeah. and I think the first one might have been the only one I saw in the theater. But I did not get to see the Digimon movie. Yeah, I also did not get to see Innocence when that came out, which really sucked. I wanted to go see that. It always really sucks because I never get to see any of the Satoshi Kon movies on, like, the big screen, which I'd really, really like to. Yeah, they don't get very wide play They usually don't Florida. come to Florida very much. If they do, it's usually yeah. one theater that's quite far away. Yeah. Boca Raton or something. But, yeah, it's usually, like, New York, Los Angeles... And that's it. Houston. Yeah, Texas a lot of times, too. I guess that's it for the emails. Hopefully we can try and get this out before the convention actually happens. But the next big convention, maybe the last one of the year that, well, the second to last one of the year that we're probably going to be going to is Anime Weekend Atlanta, September 19th to the 21st in Georgia. All of us have stuff going on there, and a lot of our listeners also have stuff going on there. So we figure we'll just plug a lot of these things real quick, if you guys are so inclined to go. Friday, I think all of us have panels. I'm not entirely sure if that's been worked out. But Friday, probably around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, we're all going to do a panel that's basically going to be a sort of brief, relatively truncated overview of the 2008 anime season, like spring and fall. We're going to do a panel just like, okay, here's some of the shows. There's no way we can do all of them because there's 43 or some shows in fall season alone to come out. And if we were to just say like 20 seconds on each and every one of them, we'd run out of time. So we're going to choose, you know, a subset of that for that panel. Maybe for the people who are hardcore into downloading anime off a BitTorrent, this panel will be useless. But I found when you go to cons, there's a lot of people who don't do that. Right. And therefore... Surprisingly amount. Yeah, surprisingly, it's like, hey guys, there's a new Slayers that got made this year. There's people who don't know that. So that's kind of what that panel's about. Then right after, I'm going to do a repeat of a panel I did at AFO entitled Anime's Craziest Deaths. True to the name, it's a compilation of assorted hilarious death scenes throughout anime over the years. Actually, at AWA, we were called upon to not cover classic stuff because the people who are panelists there and staff are so well-versed in that that we are unnecessary as far as having to educate people on that sort of thing. So a lot of that panel where I have to say, okay, guys, this is Crusher Joe, or hey, guys, check out it Aeon and that sort of thing. Largely not needed for the AWA crowd there. Generally a little more savvy than any other con we go to. But... That's what is going on at that panel. And then, of course, Totally Lame Anime with Neil Nadelman, whom we've had on as a guest. That's going to be later that night, around 8 o'clock. And right afterwards is Anime Hell with Dave Merrill, fandom hero of mine. That's always a great thing to check out. Then Midnight Madness with Ryan Gavigan, whom we were supposed to have on the show for many years, and we still haven't done it. Maybe now that Tyler is getting re-released again, we can have Ryan on (laughs) as a guest to review Captain Tyler. Yeah, they're doing a remastered one for that. And that's Friday. Wow. Of course, Walter Amos and Rob Fenelon are also there. Walter's going to have his Legend of Galactic Heroes panel at AWA. Because that's the only thing he talks about. <laughs> yes. The notes in the schedule written by Dave. Walt never shuts up about this show. <laughs> that's the description of the panel. Rob Fenelon is also there. He's doing Spot the Reference, which is the game show that he does. It's really good stuff. We couldn't even get in last year, but hopefully we'll have a, a better shot at it this time. Yeah. Unfortunately, my panel on Saturday, Panel of Doom, which is a pale imitation of Dave's anime hell, something for me to do. It's the opposite, like the AME contest and that sort of thing. Isn't Saturday night always when Darius has his mecha 
madness yes. thing as well. That is also yes. when he has that. And Dave is doing sort of like the old school classroom thing later that night, Saturday, where he shows clips from old stuff. And this year, the theme is giant robots. There's also the anime Time Machine, which is kind of like Christian Smith used to do like anime 1982, anime 1981. Like here's what was 25 years ago. This year, I think it's just sort of the anime Time Machine, like 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people, I'm omitting a lot of things, but as far as other podcasters, Paul Chapman's going to be there. He's got a Gunhead podcast, which is opposite my own panel, which is opposite the Japanese schoolgirl Inferno, because TV's Patrick Macias is going to be a guest at this convention. So it's basically a fatal four-way as far as scheduling <laughs> goes on Friday. There's Who do you Patrick love Macias most? Versus me, versus Paul Chapman, versus Team Oron. And we all have panels opposite one another as far as the Civil War is concerned. Saturday, Podcaster Roundtable. I actually have no idea who's going to be on this. Obviously, we're going to be on there. I want Patrick to be on there, too. Paul will almost certainly do it. I know yeah. other podcasters like Otaku Generation and Dyson Shoe EX and various other podcasters go to AWA, but I know they're always busy. Like, they've got... I know that the Otaku Generation guys are pretty much always in the AMV thing all weekend. Yeah, because um, they've got, like, Iron Dyson Editor and stuff like that that, that those yeah. guys are all running. Dyson Shoe EX, they came to our panel last time, so they might be there. Yeah. Good people. I know that the Ninja Consultants are not going. Yeah, they're not they, going they this year. Going. They're going to New York Anime Festival instead because they really want to so. see Uncle Yo. That's the, the real reason, I think. Yep, yep. And they get to see him again at CetaCon. Indeed. So, <laughs> so let's see. Yes. What else is going on? I know we've missed some things as far as like our listeners are doing panels and stuff there. Clarissa, were we going to do the Dojinchi panel? Yeah, did you email them about when you were okay for times? Oh, no, I was okay on any time. I was I'm was. i leaving that to, to you. you guys to work out, but I'm pretty sure there's open spaces on the schedule, and Gerald and Clarissa are going to be doing a Dojinshi Primer, a Dojinshi 101, so to speak, at AWA, kind of late night sort of thing. Adults only, I yeah. guess. Yeah, not necessarily yeah. a straight-up porn panel, unfortunately. I know a lot of times when you've got a card, people, that gives expectations to the crowd, right. and uh, we don't care. We're like, uh, yeah, we carded you so we can do this educational panel, deal with it. There's going to be a few tits in there, maybe. Maybe. And lots of dicks. (laughs) Yeah, that's how every panel is, though. (laughs) Regardless of date or time. I mean, that Craziest Deaths panel at AFO, that was a midnight panel originally, opposite the hentai and the yaoi. AWA, it's at like 3 (laughs) p.m. Yeah, come on in. Watch the exact same footage I ran in the day. Oh, well. Violence is fine. It's fun for the entire family. (laughs) You show a boob or two. Maybe one or two. I'm just going to let it go. But yeah, that's pretty much the majority of what we have on our plate for AWA. I know there's probably going to be some random things we're just going to be thrown into, I'm guessing. I don't know if we're going to record as many interviews as we did last time. Basically, we interviewed virtually everyone we wanted to that goes to the con regularly last year. And so we can always do it again. Maybe we can talk to Patrick again. Yeah. Yeah, they do not have any guests this year that we are that interested in interviewing? Well, actually, I, th- I never did get to interview Peter Fernandez and Corinne Orr at New York Anime Fest. Oh, yeah. And they are going to be he here. Would be a fantastic. Peter Fernandez, of course, the original voice of Speed Racer. Corinne Orr is the original voice of Trixie. They've got tons and tons of other credits because they've been dubbing anime for so long. I'd like to get an interview with them, actually. Too bad no Ishiguro again this year because we could talk with him for hours and hours, but oh well. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just so you know, there was quite a lot of noise. Also, there was nervous tapping. I tried to get rid of as much of it as I could, but a lot of it is still present. Everyone sounds a little bit off this segment, so uh, anyway, without further ado. Let's news! Working to restore power. (laughs) 
All right, so here we are, special emergency session meeting of the Let's News segment of the Anime World Order podcast, recorded very hastily Thursday on September the 11th, never forget. There's kind of only one thing to talk about. There's this cool little article on msnbc.com right now by sex columnist Brian Alexander, where they interviewed a, a man by the name of TV's Patrick Macias, and we had some issues with this article, and so we've got TV's Patrick Macias <laughs> here right now. Say hello, sir. Hey, hello, how you doing? The day that America cried, September, remember? Yeah, anime erotic subculture goes mainstream. More Americans drawn to the, quote, moral free zone of cute sexual comics. Who the yeah, fuck this... would quote moral free zone of these comics, man? Who's responsible? Moral free? Well, God. I have yeah. to say they did quote me accurately, but they're sort of taken out of context. I don't know. Everyone's jumping on this article, and I have to say, the guy didn't do a very good job of his fact-checking, and I think people are rightfully on the internet going after this article and saying it sucks, and they're sort of dragging me into the flames along with it and saying, well, he must suck too, but... Somehow Lawrence Eng gets a free pass. Yeah, I know. It's what you get for <laughs> living out in the West Coast. Lawrence Eng is out there in what? Upstate New York somewhere? I don't know where he writing is. Writing about serial He's experiments in the dark, lane. Staring so, into a monitor. Let's, we're uh, setting the record con- straight then, I guess. Yeah, so. that's what the blogosphere or the podcastosphere, to use an even more obnoxious <laughs> term, is for. To set the record straight when the mainstream media fails us. But to put this in context, let's go over what this article is about. I uh, mentioned that this dude, Brian Alexander, is a sex columnist for MSNBC. He writes about all the weird shit that's out there. Like, oh, did you know there are people who dress up in animal costumes called furries? Those people are fucked. That's what Brian Alexander writes about. <laughs> Male sex columnist. That's kind of a weird gig, isn't it? Doesn't he always think it's like a sexy chick with tattoos? There's no such thing as a sexy chick with tattoos, Patrick. There is that Dan Savage, but, oh, it, but he's it's gay. A, so yeah. He's yes. basically mentally a woman, right? right? And also yes. Michael Savage is gay, but he doesn't want to admit to that. But anyway, <laughs> this uh, article is all about, the gist of it anyway, is did you know that there are these perverted comics from Japan that salarymen read on the train, Charles Bronson, and these cartoons from Japo land have tits and stuff in them? And that's pretty much what this thing's about. But mm-hmm. they did get the grand experts, TV's Patrick Macias and Lawrence Zhang, to set the record straight. The obligatory mention of the Hello Kitty vibrator to let everybody Otaku know. Otaku is a Japanese word that has evolved from meaning techno geek. You know, huh. I mean... And nice to see Mr. Alexander did not throw away his 15-year-old copy of the first issue of Wired. Like, all the errors here. When has the mainstream media ever gotten it right? Unless when has the mainstream media like- ever gotten it right in the general sense? I've <laughs> never heard the term lowly calm. They use the term lowly calm. Well, well I've heard lowly calm before, but of course the error we're talking about is that there's another quote fairly shortly after that that says, a lowly calm, or lowly calm, is a combination of Lolita and comic. And of course, comics. anybody who checks Wikipedia would even be able to realize that this is inaccurate. Lolicon is short for Lolita Complex, which is why you might sometimes right. hear Lolicom, because Lolicon, how does con uh. become complex? Yeah. You have to really want to make it work. The article itself is kind of all over the place. He equates Gren Lagan with Legend of the Overfiend, which was another kind of red button thing. I had offered to fact check this article before he sent it out, because I know when someone who's not part of the otaku subculture goes peeking right. in, they're going to get a lot of things wrong. So I just offered a friendly thing and he said, okay, maybe I will. He never did. And I know that people are sending him a million emails right now just trying to beat him over the head. And I'm just a little disappointed in this whole thing myself because I am getting definitely some flack from my quotes being taken out of context and, and blah, blah, blah. But I think some people are 
reacting in a surprising way that this whole article itself is not complete crap, that I think some people are now willing to admit, hey, maybe there is kind of a sexual component to all mm -hmm. of this Fujoshi manga, all of this hentai manga, all of this basically smut that we're into. I mean, no one wants to admit it, but this article kind of does come out and says something that's very obvious, I think, right. is that there's a strong sexual component to the otaku subculture. And I think that in itself has got people just as pissed off as whatever like straight-up errors he made in getting the facts right about Legend of the Overfiend. That was what. actually my first comment about the article, was uh, a lot of people from Mike Wesley Willis Dent to Wild Arms Hero from the Aryan Brotherhood all jumped on that sentence about sexually suggestive and explicit anime like Garen Lagan and Legend of the Overfiend. And they yeah. said, hey, wait a second, are you saying that Garen Lagan is porn? And I said, well, let me parse the sentence. I think it's a bad phrasing. I think yeah, he's saying phrasing. suggestive and explicit, and he means Garen Lagan is suggestive, and Overfiend is explicit. And Overfiend is explicit. Yeah, I think that yeah. Yeah, there's an agreement issue in the phrasing, but I don't consider that one wrong. Just Everyone looks at it and does a double take, because it's like, yeah. what? You lost me. Yeah, it could definitely be more clear. What isn't any mistake is the jump from... Hello Kitty Vibrator to fan-created pornographic Pokemon comic to visiting the Maid yeah. Cafe. This is actually the natural progression of things for all anime fans. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where the Maid Cafe fits into all of this. Well, That's like a slow weekend in Akihabara when I'm over there, so... Um, the nervous way, strumming of the table I guess they figured like, maids are kind of a fetishy type thing, and so if you go to a maid cafe to look at cute girls in sexy maid outfits or cute maid outfits, it's kind of... But yeah, it's, it's a strange progression. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I think at the risk of giving myself more rope to hang myself with, I think the article does kind of its job at raising a flag and saying, hey, there's a sexual component to this subculture which has now actually kind of gone mainstream in the sense that you can just go into like a Borders mm -hmm. or a Barnes and Noble bookstore and access it. I think it does its job of that, but then it all falls apart and you can't see whatever he's trying to say past the colossal errors. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really trying to say that Japanese pop culture is a moral free zone, even though I think it's But Patrick, if you want your child pornography and don't want to get arrested, don't you have to turn to Japanese comics? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, people are taking whatever I said and was quoted on this article and, and trying to make me the bad guy. And, you know, it was Wild Arms Hero who said real girls are more problematic than 2D ones and this kind of stuff. It's not just me, you know. I swear to God, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing out there. And if, if people don't like the message, you know, hate maybe, the game. Maybe it's player, because what they say? you're listening to Wild Arms Hero. And therefore, you deserve all the suffering that befalls you because you're repeating the horrible lies of the villainous parademon of Moe. Yeah, that's probably your first mistake. Haven't you seen that man's hair? It's like a white man's afro, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is indeed what is commonly well, I, I referred to as a Jewfro, though maybe Arabfro <laughs> is more accurate. I just have been thinking about this more and more, and I do think more and more that there is the sexual component to Japanese pop culture has been there since the beginning. You had Tezuka kind of mm -hmm. picking up on whatever weird erotic undertones were there in like Bambi or whatever, and pretty soon you have Ronnie the Horse in the Wonder 3 lusting after the rabbit it's all just kind of weirdness there. like cleopatra and yeah, thousand one yeah, nights yeah. See, i mean he it's, brought sexuality to anime like 
graphics mm-hmm. overtly, I suppose. Created so. the monster. You ask the average American why they like these weird cartoons from another country, and they say, well, it's deeper than Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse or whatever, and it's kind of like people are tiptoeing around the fact that... That sex- part in Riding Bean where they were holding up that girl and you could totally see her tits. Rockin' tan line, sister. That made <laughs> the anime fan awaken within us all, I think. No one wants to admit it that there is a strong sexual component to this subculture or fringe culture or mains, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It is mm. there. It's been there since the beginning. And I think some people resent the fact that some attention, a light has been sort of cast on that corner of it. It's just too bad that this article appears in the midst of just these colossal errors that could have been avoided like with just a quick Google search. Yeah. yeah. Easy, right? To shift yeah. gears and actually say something serious for a second in the event that I'm fooling everyone by being overly glib constantly, I think the way this article presents itself is one of those types of things that you see in the mainstream media every couple of years. It's kind of cyclical. <laughs> you can almost count down the number of times that you see that article show up that says, hey, Comics are all grown up now. It's not kids stuff. Look at this edgy material. And they all kind of use the same sort of rhetoric if you compare them all side by side over the years. It's almost like you can load up a template, get some pictures in there, Mm -hmm. and you hit go and you've got your article done. The guy avoids condemning it. He avoids getting really moralistic about it. He kind of just presents this kind of rather inaccurate and ill-informed take on what he sees to be kind of the state of things. And someone left a comment on my blog and he said... Quote, I think you all need to relax. It's a column called Sexploration. It's nestled between the joys and fears of pregnant sex and affairs with avatars. It's not about anime. It's about this great new fetish to explore. And yet his book isn't about sex at all, apparently. It's mainly about the human condition and how everybody is into this stuff, not just crazy deviants such as ourselves. But I mean, I think the old articles that people are always referring to in the 80s and the 90s, that kind of tone of that this thing is immoral and it's corrupting the minds of young people, it's not yeah. really there in this. Yeah, I it's don't not really, really sensationalistic. No, it's, no, it's not. It's like, not, but oh my god, are, Japanese cartoons are coming to corrupt your children. It's, and when those yeah. stories do break, they never make any impact. It seems like several times a year, a librarian finds a copy of whatever. What's the nastiest fucking mainstream manga you can think of? Astro they're checking Boy. Out the li- Astro Boy is being checked out of the library. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a blip on the evening news, and it never goes anywhere because people just say, oh, those crazy Japanese, what will they think of next? Right. It, that happened like two weeks ago. Like a kid checked out Ikitosen from the library, the manga mm-hmm. for. Oh, and it's been so, happening consistently for the last yeah. couple of years, and it doesn't. Well, around really... here, there was that thing with Peach Girl. Yeah, yeah. Some girl got Peach Girl from the library. I think it was, and her mom freaked out. Of course, their parents should justifiably be freaked out, but the reason they should be freaked out is that their kids are eating absolute shit like Icky Tosin and Peach Girl. But yeah, as you go throughout the years, there's anecdote after anecdote of people whose parents rented them Ninja Scroll or Overfiend. Because, hey, it's a cartoon. Blockbuster stayed in business, oddly enough. And it doesn't make any impact because it comes from Japan. And, you know, again, they're all crazy. What will they think of next? But I think Mm -hmm. part of the anger directed from the community, the anime community, towards this article is that idea of there's an outsider looking in. And, like, we are the real experts. We know more. There's that kind of... Like, why uh, couldn't you find somebody to write this who knew more about it. Yeah, yeah, because it might not have had any perspective whatsoever. And it's kind of interesting to me to see what happens when you take someone who has nothing to do with the scene and and drop them in the middle of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. Dave Barry Does Japan was like a bestseller for that reason, you know, is someone who doesn't have any connection to the culture. 
making observations on it. And it's right. just too bad he he tried to be factual and got all of those things wrong. But I think and people should be alerted to the fact that yes, there's a strong sexual component to this culture. Maybe it's going to have an impact on people's lives. I don't think that's insane. I don't think that's not something right. worth stating out there, but what do I what, know? What I do uh, also find a little disappointing is that, you know, I think after all this time, we could get a little more acknowledgement of things other than the stereotypical male fetish material side of things. Like, I mean, he touches on things like the Hello Kitty vibrator, and he mentions in here that, oh, well, about 50% of the fans are female now. Like, it's a different demographic. But almost everything else he talks about, May Cafe, Olicon, tentacle porn, guys buying sexy girl figures and treating them like their girlfriend is all very male-centered, kind of stereotypical stuff. There's very little exploration of what it is that 50% that's female is into. Oh, the Lolicon tag applies to the girls, too, since they're even bigger pedophiles than the guys are at this point. It's interesting because during the interview, we did talk a lot about Fujoshi and Yaoi kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make it into the final article. I don't know why. I mean, I guess Nerd Without a Girlfriend is an easier sell without getting into the weird complexities. Like, I just spent two hours editing Fujoshi USA today, and I still don't understand why anyone would want to read this stuff, but <laughs> people do. It's difficult to kind of maybe didn't fit into his grand design, and yeah. I still don't really know what that design was. It seems like he's not trying to slam the scene. He's got a Hello Kitty vibrator. He's got Garen Lagan and Overfiend. I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a mashup. And that's the thing, I think, with a lot of these stories, the way they come about is, and not just for this particular article, but I think the news in a general sense is kind of built around this notion of whoever the author of the piece is kind of starts with their conclusion. They've got an idea of what they want in their right. head. Then they say, okay, let's, let me go out and find some people to interview and hopefully say the thing I want them to say at one point or another. Pull that, use that as the quote, drop mm-hmm. it into where I have my pre-made article for the most part mm-hmm. and call it a day, post it up there. The story that he wants to pursue, I, I agree that I don't think it's some sort of call to arms, seduction of the innocent sort of thing, but at the same time, I do think that what he wants to show is these crazy pictures and these nerds, some of whom are getting weird, weird stuff out there, mm-hmm. and all I need is, give me some quotes, give me some names of shows to put in here. Overfiend, yeah, that's great, never mind the fact that nobody's talking about Overfiend anymore. Yeah, Overfiend's pretty old news. If it wouldn't be me, if it wasn't a conspiracy theory in there somewhere, but about three years ago, we're going to talk about MSNBC now, I was contacted by some producers at Inside Edition to help them set up a hidden camera inside a maid cafe or a cosplay cafe. They wanted the shots of the otaku trying to get the upskirt photos. (laughs) No, they wanted a straight-up prostitution sex sting operation going on. Oh, God. uh, I literally have the emails from this. So NBC has some weird bug up their butt about trying to make this thing as dirty as possible. You know, and I say, well, if there's a component to it that is Better dirty. ratings yes. in that, I'm sure. Let's not pretend that it's all like Miyazaki and Speed Racer. No, this shit can get dirty real fast. Like in that case with Inside Edition, I almost wanted to really fabricate like in the worst right. reality TV sense yeah. situation where everyone. Well, you always get better ratings. Up by doing something that's really shocking to people. So you're going to get much higher ratings by, you know, made cafe sex sting than you are by saying, hey, these people are into something that you might find kind of weird, but they're still just people and it's not really that freakish. 
Yeah, this yeah, tonight so. on eleven, guy pays a hundred dollars an hour to get his fingernails pedicured, manicured. I'm sorry, <laughs> it doesn't have the bite to it that right. in Japan you can have sex with a sixteen year old girl while eating whale meat and drinking a beer <laughs> that you got from a vending machine while wearing used panties on your head that you also got yeah. from a vending machine. A vending machine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did two out of ten of those. Whale meat in the school, girl. Anyway, uh, I don't know really who this article will be news to exactly. Mm. I don't know who it's going to shock or titillate or what. I really don't think... I'd never heard of this guy. I'd never heard of this column before this hit right. me. I mean, I think this is just... We can all blow this out of proportion and you can blame it on me if you want to. Fine, I don't care. But I don't think this is going to really change the paradigm. I don't think it's really going to matter much because Plenty on the Cliff is going to come out next year and everyone's going to see how great it is at the end. It's already come out if you know where to look in Japan. <laughs> come out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What else is inaccurate in this? Is Otaku USA truly a bi-monthly magazine with a circulation of approximately 60,000? Oh, yeah. You better believe it, baby. Yeah, we have a pretty big circulation. I mean, I, I, I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, we're out there. You can get it at your supermarket or 7-Eleven or I don't know. I mean, where do people but buy it? But it's all they just it. new type USA customers that you fooled with your deceptive covers and similar yeah. title, right? And your staple well. through the page. <laughs> should we acknowledge that all of us write for this magazine or should we just leave that unstated? <laughs> I don't know. That way the fact Does, Is anybody going to be listening to this that doesn't already know that? I hope not. I don't write yeah. for it. You used to, but you were too foreign. This is pretty messed up, though. In the middle of this article, he's got a picture of women dressed in maid costumes doing a promotion for shops in Tokyo, Japan. It's not dirty. It's, I don't yeah. know. Picture of a girl equals sex? That's kind of extreme. I think it's because, like, you... in America, like, usually the maid outfit is, like, a fetish thing. You go and you dress up in the sex French maid outfit. Now I'm being picky. Now I'm trying to take apart this article. What I like, too, is that two of them aren't even in maid fits. I call them Miami shoes. I don't know what they're really called. Platform boots? I got nothing. Maids are generally considered a, a porkability factor of uh, roughly 9.8, especially the uh, Takashi Murakami, very expensive one. What do you think of that guy? Isn't he a revolutionary man, Patrick? No, I hate <laughs> Super Flat. I think it's a total ripoff, and Andy Warhol did this in the 60s. It's just, the art world is so corrupt, especially the Japanese art world. It's it's just a, it's just a joke. I mean, the people who make figures at Wonderfest, those are the people who should be getting grants and endowments for the arts and millions of dollars for the hard work that they do. I think it's just the Thomas, oh wow, mass produced art inspired by pop culture. I mean, really, this is just, oh, it's just, it's it's a hoax. Mass produced art inspired by pop culture. Isn't that in itself pop culture? Or was it just like you can't yeah. hack making real pop cultures? I don't yeah. know, but if, all I know is if you tell someone in Japan that you think Takashi Murakami's a genius, they'll just nod and smile at you, and that's basically like your douche in Japanese body language. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Maybe they think you're a techno geek. Yeah, you're an otaku. I don't know. I remember at AX, uh, we had the Otaku USA panel, and there was like an 11-year-old kid working the door doing security, and he asked me, I said, what panel is this? And I said, it's the Otaku USA panel. I said, doesn't otaku mean pervert? And I didn't have an answer for him. Are you so, going to have an answer for him answer. at the Anime Weekend Atlanta panel? Uh, yeah, assume? yeah, you know, that should be exciting. I don't know what I'm going to do. It'll be 10 in the morning on a Saturday, jet lagged. I'm not at my best, but we'll see what happens. Once we bring this episode out and set the record straight sometime in 2010. At the same time, I will say I was misquoted and taken out of context, but I would also like people to watch Mike Tools, Dubs the Time Forgot, and watch the Wonder 3 sequence with Ronnie the Horse getting a boner about a rabbit. Because that, to me, is like... That's where furry came from. Yep. Yeah, it's all yeah. and that's all the amazing three's fault. It's not just furry; it it is the eroticism of two D characters 
from Japan. And that's a huge part of what we're dealing with right now. People mm-hmm. need to just admit that and stop pretending like, oh my god, there's no problem here. There's no sex here. There's nothing going on here. It's all beautiful and wonderful. I mean, no, I'm sorry. It's not. Let's is it kind of like those people who uh, give the big impassioned speech about how anime is superior or different from American it's animation an because it's, it's more an art form. Uh, mature? By the way, my favorite shows are all ones made for 12-year-olds like Bleach, Naruto, One Piece, or whatever. I'm sure the next column will be about licking the street is a really erotic thing to do right now like in detroit <laughs> i you know this thing will blow over real fast but right yeah. now it is the heat death of the universe is upon me and there'll be some crazy <laughs> new fetish that america's getting uh, into you know? so yeah true just look through the sexpiration articles i mean it's all pretty out there so you, i mean i just hope some cosmo kawike fans email this guy and say no we're not all passive we like to rape sometimes you have to show the woman <laughs> who's in charge get on that. yeah that was his last words in the other podcast that didn't get recorded. I said search for rape podcast and we'll come up. And the only thing that came out was rape. <laughs> okay, do you agree or disagree with the following statement from British sociologist Sharon Kinsella? Who is this lady? Let's I've never heard this. of her. I don't know where he got this. If he quoted it, if he got an interview or if he took it from another source, I don't know. But this is like classic academic speak for like... This is mad <laughs> macadamia. <laughs> Yeah, if you can get your head around this, quote, depictions of sexual deviance and uncontained energy projected onto girls in stories and boys' comics contain an anti-authoritarian impulse that gains intense vicarious pleasure from viewing scenes of social chaos, misbehavior, and sensual liberation. Mm. The energy itself is what gains pleasure from... They like it. Some guys like it. I think that's what she's trying to say. Maybe. they enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Man, Ask an academic. If you want a straight answer, right? If you want to understand. Wouldn't fetishizing a character who is young enough that you can dominate them easily be kind of authoritarian, not an authoritarian? Is it like that thing in that book where it says that the crater at the beginning of Akira is representative of the anus? I don't know. Who wrote that? I don't know. Susan Napier, I think. Sounds like it. It was, actually, yeah. Yeah, I can believe that. So I think this is probably almost definitely a false. Lawrence Zhang... Not just the part about the main demographic in the 90s was Asian college males. Steve Harrison <laughs> objects greatly to that statement. But mm-hmm. the, yes. um, no, because Steve Harrison was the demographic in the 80s. It was like the, it was just the, <laughs> yeah. the Zeta male white guy. Zeta male, mm-hmm. man. Weird white guys with like strange hair. Fred Patton. Yeah. Fred Patton was otakudom until the early 90s, I think. I mean, it all came out of the sci-fi fandom, didn't it? Which was largely mm-hmm. older, so... Yeah. And I mean, little things annoyed me as well, like anime conventions started in the mid-90s. That's such a tiny bit of research you'd have to do. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, again, there's so many things wrong with this article. Like, why blame it on me? I'm as innocent as can be. It's not my fault. I didn't do it to you. I didn't make this. I'm only in it. Yeah, I think we can probably uh, leave it at that. And just as a soapbox moment, I would just like to say this sort of thing is not uncommon for any sort of uh, reporting. It just so happens that we are knowledgeable about this particular thing that's already being talked about. The question everyone should ask themselves is just how often does this happen for the real news the answer is all the time so uh thanks patrick for being on here hopefully if we kept this somewhat short enough we can actually edit it and get it out fast enough to uh you know be somewhat timely and on the ball with this one and that's one to grow on otherwise the only alternative is to put explosive collars on brian alexander's neck and tell him to go and capture all the furries Now, I think all the email he's getting from Mania.com users is probably punishment enough right now. Yeah, the anime mm, on DVD forums are uh, their own special place. And now Mega Tokyo mm. has picked up on it, so that he's oh going to be boy. hearing about this. Ooh-wee. That's maybe even worse. 
Maybe we can forward all the correspondence that will result from the Is Anime Over panel at AWA to his inbox as well and uh, see what happens. As soon as it hits Gaia online, then that's going to be end, the then end of it. it then it is over. And it <laughs> truly is over. They will make no more anime. It'll be it'll all be replaced by different strokes or what? what's a great NBC show? I don't even... I haven't watched TV Perfect since Strangers. Okay, Perfect Strangers, yeah. I don't even know if that's NBC <laughs> or not, but it just comes to mind. <laughs> Bronson Pinchot was an ABC man, and don't you forget it. Oh, well. So I guess, uh, unfortunately, we'll have to resume this conversation some other time where we can find out, is anime art? I just like to say I love you all. I judge no one. You know, I'm not doing this because I hate you. I mean, I can't help it if your magazine sucked and you had to lick the street for money. I'm sorry. We love you too, Patrick, because you sign our paychecks. Indeed. That's true. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, you guys should take me out for pretzels. Pretzels? I owe you a pretzel from New York Anime Fest. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, we'll see you there, okay? Don't be afraid to say yes. hi. I'm, I'm only scowling because that's the face I was born with, okay? Hi, this is Mara from the Providence Anime Conference, or PAC. I was listening to the podcast for the 25th, which was yesterday, and I thought I would respond to some stuff that was said in response to my letter. With regard to the sort of event we're hoping to put on, yeah, I also hope it doesn't turn into a horrible adult sci-fi convention with polyamory and porn and just awful bad geek stuff, of which there are already events that cover that sort of thing, which I personally stay far away from. I hope that it's just going to be about good anime and a good crowd of people who aren't there to cause trouble or go sliding down the banisters and like grinding in the uh, emergency exits and stuff like that, that it will just be good times. And yeah, probably some booze, probably will be some stuff that couldn't otherwise be done, such as showing dirty, dirty cartoons. But we shall see. You've probably noticed the site has been updated. But hopefully we can actually start putting stuff together soon to have a better idea than only like the vaguest of explanations as to what we're all about. And as to why I brought up Daryl specifically, he actually does know me. We have mutual friends. I've been in his car at AWA. My best friend is actually, her husband is uh, a bit more familiar with him. Also like just from something awful and stuff. So probably don't remember me, but we have actually met. So uh, that's it for now. Thanks. Bye. All right, this series that I'm talking about is by one of my favorite boys love manga artists, Motoni Modoru. She's not exceptionally well-known over here just because not a lot of her stuff has come out. They have released another one-shot that she did called Poison Cherry Drive, and then Media Blasters under their kitty manga label has been releasing this series, Dog Style. Most of her other series that she's well known for among, you know, the people who import Boys Love Manga and some of the scanlation circles and such are series like Koiga Bokura wo Yurusu Hani, which is exceptionally good and hopefully will get picked up and released here. I'll probably talk about that one at a later date. Uh, she also did a, a series that's pretty infamous called uh, Shikugakari Rika or Rika the Breeder. But, like I said, it's one of my favorites. She's got really nice-looking artwork, and I think she's also got really strong writing on top of, you know, her artwork quality. And this series, Dog Style, is a little more along the lines of Poison Cherry Drive than some of the other series that I mentioned. She kind of tends to do, on the one hand, some kind of silly comedy works, and on the other hand, she can also do these very serious and, and dark works as well. Dog Style certainly has its serious moments. It's not as completely slapstick or crazy as Poison 
Cherry Drive, but it is a little bit more of a comedic series as opposed to something like Rika, which is very, very dark and serious. I can't help but notice from looking at the cover, even though it's called Dog Style, there's a big sign on it with a dog and a no. There's, yeah. There are no dogs in this comic. <laughs> right. This is not Bawawata. Yeah, I, I've not uh, actually seen anything from her about particularly why she chose that symbol. But yes, it is something that's used. Like She'll do in the splash pages for the chapters pictures of the characters wearing clothes that have that logo on it and such. The title is actually loosely based off of an old slam dunk doujinshi that Motoni and a partner of hers did around 1994 or 95. The postscript in volume one talks about this. It was a friend of hers named Ariel Oka. They did this doujinshi and later on when she was looking for a subject for a new manga, she kind of looked back at that doujin and thought we had done something really, really good here. And she really liked the kind of feeling of that story that they had done. And so she wanted to do something that was similar to that. Of course, that was a slam dunk doujin, but this is original characters. It doesn't really have a lot in common with the doujinshi, except for kind of the feeling that it tries to capture, which is, she often phrases it as sort of teenage or high school angst, but it's funny because it's not really an extremely angsty kind of book. I guess she sort of incorporates more of a feeling of discontent, just sort of that feeling when you're young and sort of antsy. Like I said, it's not super depressing or anything like that. I mean, sure, there are serious parts to it, and uh, the characters do have problems that they're encountering, but I wouldn't normally think to describe it as angsty, but it's definitely very much about being teenagers. I almost almost cut in when you said that it wasn't antsy. I was going to say something about the American National Standards Institute, but I didn't do it. <laughs> antsy. I'm a computer science mm. major. I'm sorry. <laughs> Windows 1252. <laughs> The series focuses mostly around two characters and then their assorted friends. The first character is a guy named Teru Chiaki, and he's kind of a delinquent, kind of a punk. He doesn't especially look like it. He's kind of short, and he's not really especially tough looking, but nonetheless, uh, he's a very good fighter. Teru is in kind of a bad spot because this friend of his named Kashua is basically kind of a shitbag. Kashua started dating this girl, and now he spends all of his time with this girlfriend. And Teru, who used to be Kashua's best friend, now sort of feels like Kashua is just making a half-hearted attempt to fit him into his life, and everything is about this girlfriend. Teru and their two other friends are basically bumming around, and they keep distracting all of these other punks who want to beat up Kashua. Teru will, like, pose as Kashua and he and the other two will go and get into fights with these guys and take the beatings in order to distract these guys from where Kashua is going on dates with his girlfriend. This sounds complicated. Well, no, it's like you put on the disguise and then no one knows because they're too busy stomping your face in. They don't realize that the guy you're supposed to beat up actually has black hair and you have blonde hair or whatever it is that... Does the disguise, disguise involve, like, uh, dark sunglasses and, you know... Groucho Marx mustache. I really hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's not really that complex. It's not really, like, he, he really gets into disguise. Sometimes he'll just kind of let people assume that he's Kashua, because sometimes it'll be, like, people who are acquaintances of somebody that's pissed at Kashua and they don't necessarily know what he looks like. It's also just that they're friends of Kashua, so sometimes they'll get into scraps, but Kashua is off on this date, and then they'll sort of lead the guys on this chat 
chase in the opposite direction of where Kashua is hanging out. And so, I mean, yeah, they're in kind of a shitty position where they're getting beaten up by all these guys in order to help out their friend who doesn't really spend any time with them anymore. And the guy's girlfriend, I don't know if she intends it, but she is kind of a bitch where she's like, Kashua, you shouldn't fight anymore. Then, you know, she'll drag him away and not let him fight. And then he goes with her and then his friends just end up getting beaten up for him. So he's kind of being a dick. So Teru is feeling kind of shitty about all this, understandably. So he's been going to this abandoned building where he can basically hang out and not be bothered by anybody. He sort of refers to it as like his secret hideout. But uh, unfortunately, another person is also using this building as a secret hideout. And that person is Mickey Terayama. Mickey is this tall, pretty boy, kind of a school idol. And he happens to be best friends with the older brother of Teru's friend, Kashua. Mickey is also having issues with the other Kashua. Teru actually, in the beginning of the manga, stumbles in upon Mickey getting kissed by the older Kashua. This is related to what's going on with them, but what exactly is happening between Mickey and the older Kashua is not really revealed until Volume 2, so I won't go into that. But basically, yeah, you have these two guys, they're each having problems with this friend of theirs, and these two friends happen to be brothers with one another. And so they wind up sharing the same hiding spot. Mickey is kind of hot and cold about sharing the space with Teru. Each of them are kind of bristly about another person sort of invading their sanctuary. They sort of work out this agreement, like, all right, you can have this place on Monday and Tuesday, and I'll be here on Wednesday and Thursday, and I don't want to see your face but they tend not to stick to it. Mickey also is kind of, he kind of gets pissed off because Teru, and this is part of where the title of the manga comes from, Mickey always refers to Teru as a stray dog because, you know, he's kind of a delinquent and also Teru is a pretty sharp guy and he can usually sense people that come near him. We see in this one scene where Teru is kind of sulking on the, the roof of top of the school and his, his other two friends start to approach him and they take like two steps towards him from all the way across the roof, and Teru instantly knows that they're there. But for some reason, Teru never notices Mickey, like at all. Mickey can be standing right behind him, and he has no idea that he's there. It's like Spider-Man and Venom. <laughs> kind of. And this kind of pisses Mickey off, because he's like, you know what the fuck? Do I not exist to you? And it just kind of rubs him the wrong way, and so he gets kind of irritated. And basically the two just sort of snap at each other and, and whatnot, but as they each are kind of running away from or dealing with their own problems, they keep bumping into one another, and eventually they sort of develop this not really a close friendship, they're not really dating, but they sort of hang around one another, and and try and help each other to, like, relax. They find that they get along pretty well together. They do kind of squabble a lot, but it's sort of a regular kind of teenage boy bickering. This kind of casual relationship does eventually, as this is a boys love manga, start to involve sex. But it, there's no, like, sappy declarations of love or anything, and they're not dating. They're sort of just, like, fuck buddies. 
And really, it just follows along with that. And the two brothers that they're friends with start getting kind of suspicious of them hanging out together. And the younger Kashiwa brother doesn't want Teru hanging out with Mickey because Mickey is known to be bisexual and works part-time as an escort, goes on paid dates with older women and some older men. And so the younger Kashiwa is like, that dude's a pervert, I don't want you hanging around with him. But it's not like Kashiwa is actually spending time with him anyway. I think one of the nice things about the series is I do like that it's not really super melodramatic. I mean, the characters have their issues, but they never really get incredibly mopey about it. Things never get really overly sappy. There's just kind of a casual, very natural feeling to the way that they interact with one another. It's kind of believable that they're these teenage guys just bumming around with one another. And I think Motoni is pretty good at... She, she's usually very good at dialogue. The way that she writes her dialogue is sometimes a little confusing to follow because she definitely writes semi-realistic conversations where people will change the subject rather abruptly sometimes. The conversations may be a little meandering. We don't know anything about meandering conversations around here. <laughs> it's all business. Yeah, really. To the point, on topic, <laughs> without fail. Yes. I kind of like that flow. Like, sometimes I'll have to go back and read something again or realize that I missed something. But for the most part, I think it works really well. And I like reading those because there's not really very many other authors who write like she does. I mentioned that she does these really serious stories and these really comedic stories. I think that she's pretty good at both. And I think Dog Style finds a really nice balance between the two of them. Obviously, Mickey and Teru joke around a lot. And there are kind of these silly things that happen and they just generally, like, act dumb. But at the same time... They also have these serious issues that they have to deal with and things that are happening to them. So it's kind of like right in the middle, stylistically? Yeah, I think it's really pretty much right down the middle. It's a good balance. Not necessarily a romance story, more like a friends with benefits tale. Yeah, it really is. Like, there's not a lot of overly romantic stuff that happens. If that's kind of where your tastes lie in terms of romantic stories, I tend to like that. So I guess in that sense you could say it's romantic. But it's not stereotypically romantic. Nobody's, like, buying anybody flowers or making, like, declarations of their love or anything. I love that Onion article. Man is arrested for imitating behavior seen in romantic comedy. <laughs> you know, all the crazy things that people do to like try and get the girl like right so he's the like music stalking or, her. yeah he gets arrested yeah. for it because in real life you could never pull that shit right right even though that's exactly. what people want somehow at the same time i don't know like the concept of friends with benefits it always seems like the kind of thing where there's inevitably going to be one person who wants something more than the other person and ends up being terribly mm. psychologically straining i guess this probably doesn't go into that maybe that's in the third volume well, I think it's somewhat mitigated by the fact that Teru and Mickey, I mean, their best friends are the Kashiwa brothers, and that's who they've been long-term friends with and are really close with. So the two of them, they become friendly with one another, and they do start to spend more time with one another and, and rely on each other a little more, but they're not, like, best friends like they've known each other for years. So I think that sort of cuts off some of the awkwardness that often happens with those friends with benefits stories. So it, it doesn't really 
complicate a long-standing relationship in that kind of way. Like I said, Mickey calls Teru a stray dog, and he phrases it at one point in the manga like, I don't want you to be my pet. You're just the stray dog that I happen to feed every now and then. Maybe you let me pet you, but I don't want you to be like a, a domesticated pet. That sort of sums up kind of how they are with one another, that they're not joined at the hip, they just sort of happen to come together every now and then <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> to, you know, blow off some steam, basically. So, I don't know, I think that kind of balances things a little bit. But there is one more volume that hasn't been released here. I think the third volume is the last. I think it did finally finish up. So, I don't know what's going to happen in that one. I don't know if their relationship is going to change at all. We'll see. But right now, it's just a very fun, kind of interesting read. And in terms of the fact that, yes, it is a, a boys love manga, and Motoni Motoru tends to draw fairly explicit sex scenes, they're always really good. I think she always puts together very stellar, intimate scenes, so her artwork is pretty much the same if you've ever seen any of it before. If not, maybe I can post up a couple of preview pictures. But she's got very clean artwork. She tends to use a lot of strong black and white, not a, a lot of screen tone. All her guys are very attractive. Like They're not super girly, but they're not super kind of stereotypically masculine either. Like Mickey is a pretty boy, so he's more towards the pretty side, even though he's still not really girly. Most of the other ones, like Teru or the Kashiwa Brothers or whatever, are just kind of like, you know, yeah, your average sort of handsome manga or anime guy character. I would definitely recommend this one. I don't know if I would say it's her best series. I think she does some really interesting stuff in some of her other ones that this can't quite top, but it's another really strong offering. I like it a little bit better than Poison Cherry Drive, which is the other one that got released here, but Poison Cherry Drive is more of a kind of wacky comedy. Like I said, there's two volumes out so far from Media Blasters, another kitty manga label. Their release quality is okay. The paper quality is not that great. The cover designs are fine. They pretty much just kept the original Japanese covers. And, you know, the translation is alright. It's not a bad release, but it's not a fantastic release either. It's, it's pretty middle of the road. At the same time, it's not like it's priced way more expensive than any other manga, like how a lot of the other companies you were saying, they just charge more money, like a lot more, for that stuff. This looks like it's the same price as pretty much any other manga. Maybe a dollar more. Yeah, looking at the back here, the list prices is about a dollar more. It's $10.99 instead of $9.99. So it's definitely worth picking up and I, I highly recommend it. And I'm hoping that, you know, somebody will pick up some of her other ones. Like, I don't know if Rika or Detective Blue Cat could be picked up. They've got some iffy content that might get in the way of that. What would be considered iffy content beyond well, just what's in these things normally? Are there kids? I might do reviews of these, but just briefly, Rika the Breeder has a lot of disturbing violence and sexual violence in it. It may not be enough to get it not released here, but the thing is, it is set in a, a school, so the characters are underage. They probably have to do some hand-waving, like pretend that it's a <laughs> Community a college where everybody wears uniforms. Yeah, they'd probably have to do something like that. I could go into it if I do a review of the series later, but some pretty unpleasant things happen to people. In Seminal fluid is swallowed! That kind of unpleasant? Or? <laughs> no, no, no. More like people getting eyes gouged out. With their penises? No. Oh man. Ugh. What else are you going to gouge out somebody's eye with? <laughs> yeah, really? I think maybe it was a screwdriver. Eh. Uh, eh. That's been seen before. Seen it? Is that what you said? <laughs> 
be so bad that they can't get away with it. They might have to do some fudging with the ages of the characters or something. Which Detective Blue Cat has some involvement from some younger characters, and it's it's handled seriously. It's not done to be like titillating Shota porn or anything, but it's still there. So I, I would not anticipate to see Blue Cat released, but it has been scanlated, so you can definitely find it. All tell customer has sent you a text to landline message. What up you guys are the best. Thank you for using Altel's text to landline. Now I'm so lucky with the girls. I got the moves to move their minds. My hands are slow, fingers quick. If you're an anime fan that's been around for 10, 12, 13 years or so, take yourself back for a moment to about 1994, 1995, into your local video store, probably your local blockbuster. Remember what their anime selection was. If you remember, pretty awful. It remained that way probably until uh, the VHS thing started to die out. One of the videos that I remember seeing on the shelf all the time was... The 1991 one-shot OAV burn-up. As far as I can tell, this should have always remained a one-shot. <laughs> yes. Somehow, it didn't. Made by AIC. Now, AIC, in 1991, had just come out of working on the Bubblegum Crisis series, so they were kind of looking for doing the exact same thing that Bubblegum Crisis had done. To give you an idea, the Bubblegum Crisis, which is the classic, was about girls in armor with guns shooting things. Burn Up, on the other hand, is about girls in armor with guns shooting things. Not as many helicopter explosions or encounters with pipes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, not. What exactly is the deal with Burn Up? Well, Burn Up is about three girls, Yuka, Maki, and Remy, who are all police officers in the year 2031. It's the future. They are police officers with the Tokyo City Police. Maki is Japanese, and she's blonde, so that makes perfect sense. She's... Listen, the Japanese like blonde girls with big boobs, but they are ashamed to say they don't want Japanese girls, so they always make them half Japanese. Exactly. If you admit to being sexually attracted to people outside your race, that makes you a race traitor. And that would shame glorious Nippon if you lusted after non-Japanese women. Of course, Asian women have no compulsion about being race traitors whatsoever. But in this case, half Japanese. Yes, she has big boobs and she's blonde. I keep thinking of that one image <laughs> macro from Pat Labor. Noah, who's Japanese, but who has, like, red hair and doesn't look Japanese at all. And then Kanika Clancy. Oh, yeah. Who's, American, yeah, American, American and looks, and looks the most Asian. <laughs> yes, the Hawaiian, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burn up. Yeah. <laughs> There's so little to discuss about this crappy show, but Maki is basically the main character. She is the loose cannon type of girl. She, she drives a motorcycle, and she has shotguns and things like that, and she just can't be controlled. There's Yuka. Yeah. She's pissed off all the time. She's kind of like Clarissa. And, um... <laughs> or Pris from Bubblegum Crisis. Pris, yes, pretty much. I don't know, Clarissa's not as lesbian as Pris was, but that's another... It has never dawned on me that Pris might have been a lesbian until all these <laughs> podcasts of like, oh, Pris is a lesbian, and it's like, it's news to me. This is stuff that was being argued about on, like, Usenet. Yeah, I, way, I remember the Usenet when... things, but it wasn't, like, the predominant battle of Pris discussion. <laughs> 
general Pris discussion was largely centered around that railgun cannon. <laughs> Where do they store those rails? <laughs> and other deep discussions, which you can still read today, thank goodness. Yes. Her friends, Yuka, your typical sort of pink-haired, cute, timid girl, also a policewoman, and Remy, or Remy, depending on who pronounces it, and who is this little French boy who lives in France. Who? No, that's the wrong show. The little French girl that Rita did a remake years yeah, later. Yeah. It's, it, Remy is the long-haired, black-haired girl. I was going to say the long-haired black girl. That was mixing metaphors there. but I don't think that's what a metaphor is. And then there's Kenji, who is Maki's boyfriend. Yeah, they are police officers in the future. They uh, find out through this one assignment where they're chasing this car along the street and they blow the brains out of this guy while the hostage is sitting right next to them. They find out that there's this really bad guy named the very Japanese Samuel McCoy, who is doing some really bad things. Namely, he's in the white slave trade market. And so, it's their job to find out about him. What do they do? They go to one of his nightclubs. And at one of these nightclubs, Yuka is kidnapped, and it's their job to rescue her. That is the entire show. That is all you really need to know about this show. Did they stop the evil American, Sam McCoy? They, of course, stopped the evil American, or Japanese guy, whatever he is. I'm pretty sure the villains in anime at that time were generally Americans. Yeah, in 1991, they pretty much were. Americans or Jews, or both. Well, only, I think, one, they were Just Angel Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in order to rescue their friend, they have to destroy this guy's house with a tank that the police have while donning obviously police issued uniforms if you look for burn up on the internet you'll see this these uniforms are hmm yeah i'll just leave it at that don't seem like they'd stop a bullet exactly although if you fired at their under boob i think it would that's about it push up raw armor yeah yes <laughs> What's weird about this show is that this is one of those things that I saw way back when, and I watched it and I was like, wow, this is kind of crappy, and I forgot about it. Then somehow, some way, some people at ADV thought it would be... Oh, I thought you were going to launch into the Commando song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow, some person at ADV thought it would be a really good idea to revive this title. So they brought it back a couple of years later in Burn Up W. I remember actually reading articles about Burn Up W in, like, the anime media at the time, and the real name is, I believe, Burn Up Warrior. People just nicknamed it then Burn Up Y. Y. Yeah. <laughs> As like, in W-H-Y. Yeah. Why did they make another Burn Up? Because this isn't one of those things where it was a popular thing... That everybody liked, and yeah. now you go back to it today, and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? I don't remember anybody ever liking Burn Up. Never. At any point. And yet, we got sequels. I think that Burn Up <laughs> might have been one of those things that maybe the anime base at the time, which was pretty small, didn't really watch, but it must have sold well. Because, I mean, the cover, if you pass by this thing, and if you just lay it out in your Sun Coast... This is something that you're going to look at twice because the cover is just so ridiculous, like the armor and the push-up bra and the guns and everything. So and the tagline. Big crimes, big busts is the one on the DVD cover. Oh. Yeah. ADV was like the king of all those marketing puns, like the ultimate in science friction yeah. for like their guy, double target. That's, that's kind of what put them on the map because they were the only guys on the block who knew how to 
do ad copy and trailers and all those things. They're still hilariously tacky. I think one of my favorite, though, was for the DVD release of My Dear Marie. Plug her in. She'll turn you on. Yes. And the back reads <laughs> totally like porno. And it's not. It's just a little 90s OAV. But yeah, this ad cop is pretty much the same as you'd expect. But at the very bottom, it, of course, says, this is it. The anime classic that started it all. Burn up. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever would consider Burn Up an anime classic. However, there are certain other things about Burn Up that are classic. Yeah, I really think the make or break as far as why does Burn Up suck when on paper it seems to have such a similar idea as Bubblegum Crisis. I kind of think the design work has a lot to do with these sorts of anime being good or not and also like the way the action is. And I don't really recall Burn Up having especially great action scenes for the scene in and of itself, I mean... And if I look back on, like, the the very first Bubblegum Crisis OAV, that wasn't particularly good. That wasn't that great either, but it still had the good designs and the nice animation quality. And the music. I mean, I guess Burn Up is one of those things where if it had ever hit off in Japan and they made more of it, by I mean made more of it, it didn't just come out like Burn Up W where it was just funded by America. And just came out of and nowhere. And then Burn Up Excess. And if, yeah, Burn Up and Excess. And then Burn Up Scramble. Burn Up Scramble. Fuck, there were three s sequel series. Think about that, people. Three oh. sequel series that started from this. Funded but, by us? Yes, all funded by ADV. But if it had just kind Good of... Good job, America! <laughs> if it had just maybe continued on, like, the next tape came out a few months later by the same people, it might have improved, maybe? Typically how they work these things is the first OAV just kind of gives you what you expect. Hot girls and guns and shooting things and shit like that. And I don't know. Clearly it didn't even hit off in Japan because no more of it was made without America's help. But one of the things that stands out is the burn-up dub, which, by the way, was one of the very first dubs that ADV ever did. And still today, this is probably their most memorable dub. The high watermark of dubbing in America <laughs> is Burn Up. But also, this show has got the ability to look into the future. <laughs> Maybe it would require some constitutional amendments, but yeah, it does seem like a possible outcome for the future. I mean, we know from the Terminator that it's kind of a fluid thing, the future. It's not set in stone. Also from Doc Emmett Brown, we also know this lesson, but this is a possible outcome. Yeah, and by that I mean, there is a character that does make a very short appearance in this. This character would probably be about the age I would be, given that I live to be in the year 2031 or so. <laughs> and I clearly would probably look like this character. I'd probably be really fat, bald, <laughs> Texan, and Asian, because the future will be able to do that. I'm going to put this clip on our YouTube channel. Hopefully ADV won't smack us down, because, you know, this is clearly one of the more important parts of the show. I'm going to play the audio for this. Just listen in to the video. Oh, customer service is our business. Boss, Mr. Yeah, Charles we're, here we're watching, you, like, this woman being, like, All right. prepared. Send him in. Prepared? That's how you talk about putting on makeup? Hmm. No, okay. this is prepared. <clears throat> President Gerald, a pleasure as always. I'm sure it is. Yeah, now let's see what I'm paying for. <laughs> million bucks isn't pocket change. Don't worry. At least I'll be Your rich. patience will be well rewarded. Huh? Mr. Gerald, we have something for you. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> 
at his face. I believe Look at the you'll guy's find face. it to your liking. She's exactly what you ordered. I think what we really need to point out as like the highlight of this scene <laughs> is the immediate opening shot of the evil villain standing outside <laughs> in his palace with a beach umbrella drinking champagne as he's standing in front of a massive chessboard with life-size yes. chess pieces that are being pushed around by women in bathing suits and high heels. He's playing a chess game against another guy who's like <laughs> way off visible in the distance. And rather than play it on a board, they've got their bikini girls out there moving the pieces on his behalf. Move the pieces for them. Yeah. It's just the, oh, the, man. the evil idle rich <laughs> of the future. The best thing I probably have to look forward to in the future. But <clears throat> not only can this show look into the future, it also has the ability to make you cringe at some of the worst, maybe the best delivery I've ever heard out of ADV. Yeah, these are, uh, I remember we were making fun of this ADV line deliver. in the closing <laughs> of the last episode. I mean, we've talked about it in the past, how like the state of the anime dubbing is now, where eh, it's serviceable, it's not horrible, it's not super great, but it gets the job done. This was before that time. <laughs> I think this was the time when they were still recording things in, like, David Williams's apartment, and they just stuffed clothing into... I like, hear that David Williams still it. has auditions in his apartment. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, I don't know. Oh, I got nothing. Oh. I think we should hear a couple of these, because they are, you know, very important. One of these is actually a two-parter. This is the scene when Raimi is walking around this massive club where she is kidnapped. She encounters this one girl just kind of sitting there off to the side, you know, real lonely and everything. Oh my! She looks so sad. I wonder why. <laughs> Hi! Don't you have any friends to sit with? Or are you just tired from too much dancing? You do know that sitting by yourself can be dangerous. There are a lot of wolves out there. I'm not scared of them. The yeah. music in the club of the future is... Oh, you want to hear? No, good no, music? we're gonna we're gonna you say we good... already played that music to open this. Yeah, yeah, that, whole that review. was the opening for this. That opening that you heard was the dance music that was played. That great English dance music, but immediately after this scene, we hear some of the most authentic crying. That I've really is heard. the way you measure the worth of a dub, like how yeah. good or bad is the crying, and this is probably the high watermark of crying of all dubs I've ever heard in my life. I think so. Yeah. My boyfriend was supposed to meet me. Yeah, this is 50 minutes of that. I actually can't tell at some points on that if she's if not she's laughing. If she's laughing. Yes. <laughs> uh. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> and also, there is one line in it, and this is not the line Daryl's thinking of. No, no. I have to lead up to this line a bit more, but basically, as I was saying, Raimi is kidnapped from this club, 
And she then wakes up in this mansion, actually in, like, the basement of this mansion. And there are some other girls that have also been kidnapped. This is probably the worst voice acting I have ever heard. Put all together as, like, for the shortest amount of time, this is probably the worst voice acting that I've ever heard. I haven't heard Fandora myself, even though I know that won the Cornpone Flicks Lousy Shitty Achievement Award for Worst Acting Ever. Mm-hmm. I did hear that clip from Fandora, but I've never seen Fandora, so in the meantime, we've got this holding yeah. the title. There's this one girl there. This is the only things she ever says. There's something else you should know. What? Once you've been brought here, there are only two ways out. You can become what they want you to be, or you can kill yourself. Yeah, that's all What she they want you to be is a voice actor <laughs> for this dub. <laughs> Shockingly enough, most people chose option two. <laughs> I should say not so shockingly enough. God, I thought, man, this is so bad. Now you really wish that Johnny Young Bosch was around to whip some sense oh. into this dub. <laughs> How bad does it have yeah. to be it when good. you're wishing for Johnny Young Bosch? At first it seems about <laughs> on the level of, like, Minmay from the Robotech dub. Like, oh, Rick. But no, it just gets so much worse. Yeah, this is so much worse. And what's even better is some of the liberties that they took with translation. And this... ADV take liberties with their translations? In an anime release from the 90s? Yeah. There's a line that comes towards the end of this movie, which is the signature line for this dub. Yeah, we're just going to call the whole episode this line. Call it a day. Just so you know... The situation is that the girls are in this hallway and they're being attacked by these guys, and so they've got their guns out and they're firing. And Raimi, I got the names wrong earlier back there, but it doesn't really matter because this show is not important. But yeah, Raimi is with her. Raimi was not actually kidnapped. It was Yuka. I got that wrong. I'm saying that now because I don't feel like editing it out. (laughs) Anyway, Raimi is firing at this guy that's firing at them from the roof. And she says, in the Japanese language, the very JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Ora, 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 ora. Now, how would you translate that into English? Both in the sub and in the dub. So they were accurate as far this as... This is actually heard. when you translate into English. This is actually what the, the corresponding phrase is. It's what Jotaro is saying yes. as he is, is fighting. Yes, Dio. yes, I agree. So I think that we should listen to what the uh, dub actors said for this. I remember I showed this clip at a convention where Tiffany Grant was present in the room. And now an example of Tiffany Grant's voice acting acumen and, you know, have another let in there. And she told me, you know, who wrote that line and, you know, pointed to Matt Greenfield, who was right next to her. and He came up with it. But yeah, like the reason she was so mad is not because she was getting shot at, but because the explosion ripped her dress. Actually, what happened was she was shot in the leg, and in the the fuck boots that she's wearing, or whatever they call them, she had this really complicated computer, and it just shot the computer. She's a tech head, so that sent her off. But that's the entire motivation behind it. This is even better. Get this. You can buy this today for 20 bucks in a two-pack with burn-up and Plastic Little. Oh, boy. So Plastic Little is not something I ever liked, but it is something 
that anytime you encountered someone who was big into the plastic little, you knew they were probably a creepy motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> plastic little does have very nice artwork. Very shiny forward. breasts because that and very steel breasts. wool vagina as well. But that wasn't Satoshi Urashihara. Yeah. Yes, is his trademarks. That's not much else to say about burn up. However, there is something that I just wanted to kind of add to kind of all of this voice acting that we're talking about. One of the most important parts of voice acting is to be able to evoke a feeling when you aren't given any words, but you just have to kind of groan or you have to scream or something like that. It's very hard because that crying was extremely well done and really evoked the feeling that she was sad. So what I did was I put together a clip of all of the moments, mostly Tiffany Grant moments, when Tiffany Grant had to evoke a feeling without actually saying anything. Yeah, it was more so, like the Foley sound effects that they had to yes. do for like getting hit, that sort of thing. Getting frustrated, things like that. I think it's worthwhile if we play this thing as the lead out to this fine OAV that everyone should watch the dub of. Jeez! different. Yeah, burn up. Who ever thought this would get three sequels? Seriously. John Ledford. And that's that. So we couldn't help but notice you're listening to a podcast right now. Kind of like our podcast, The Awesome Cast. Your podcast for everything awesome. We talk about things you probably already like. Anime, video games, movies. Comic books, manga. Chances are if it's geeky stuff. Boobies. We're talking about it. We also curse. And how. So check us out. It's www.osmcast.com. 
O-S-M-Z-A-S-T dot C-O-M or check us out on the iTunes Music Store. Or use your favorite podcatching program. We're not picky. I don't think I should have said that boobies part. No, 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 no. Kids are hip to boobies these days. It's cool. Okay. So last on the agenda, I would like to talk about a man who we have never discussed on this show ever. Ever. A guy by the name of Yoshiaki Kawajiri, brilliant man who works for a studio we have never talked about called Madhouse. Actually, that is a total bald-faced lie. I've been talking about Kawajiri and Madhouse quite a bit in the recent episodes. In the event you have not heard any of those episodes, you will not know necessarily just how versatile a director Yoshiaki Kawajiri is, in his auteur-like dedication to the craft of Japanese animation, resulted in many great things over the years, such as Ninja Scroll, Vampire Under D. Bloodlust, Lensman, Demon City Shinjuku, Lensman, Wicked City, Lensman, and maybe you're starting to notice a pattern here. He actually mentioned Lensman in passing as one of the things that he didn't think was very good, even though he made it, <laughs> because at the time, the people who would create Japanese sci-fi weren't quite on their game yet. But we did review Lensman in the past. Yes, long time ago. Yeah, this one is almost universally forgotten about when people are talking about the works that Yoshiaki Kawajiri has done. I mean, just now when I was mentioning the list of things that he'd done, this wasn't on the list. And generally speaking, people don't usually think about it, which I think might be a bit of a mistake because it's actually... One of the best things he's ever done. This is an OAV from 1990. was released here in the mid-90s by Central Park Media. Full title of it is Cyber City 080808. Following the greatness of stuff like Wicked City, along with the Running Man segment from Neo Tokyo, and Goku Midnight Eye, which I don't think I've ever really talked about on this podcast before. But to give some sort of background to the story of Cyber City. It's named Cyber City Oedo because it's set in the city of Oedo. Who would have thought? In the year is 2808. For those of you who don't know, Edo was the old name of Tokyo back in the Tokugawa era of Japanese history. It's kind of like, what, the 1600s, 1800s, around there. Mm. The city of Tokyo wasn't called Tokyo. It was called Edo. So now in the year 2808, it's been renamed to Oedo. This is completely unimportant to what's actually going on in this anime. I mean, I'm sure if you were to go onto Wikipedia and read the entry for this, for one, it would spoil the entire thing. For another thing, it would say, oh, Oedo is an acronym, stands for blah, 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 blah. And then if you're wondering why it's 808, in the Edo period, Tokyo was divided up into 808 sections. That's the logic, anyway, behind why they decided to call it Cyber City Oedo 808. You guess what? That doesn't have a lick of influence as far as what is going on in this cartoon. This is not set in ancient Japan. It is set in the far future. And it's not like the Vampire Hunter D future, where it's so far in the future, it may as well be the past. No, this is sort of a cyberpunk setting. Very heavy industrialization and mega corporations and that sort of thing. I felt like I should mention it and point it out because it's probably one of the epitomal 
examples of what was going on with the state of anime in the 1990s. It's an OAV. It's three parts. And for those of you who don't know, an OAV is something that was released direct to video. Burn Up, which we talked about just now, was also an OAV. And OAVs generally don't exist anymore. And they've actually made a little bit of a comeback. But they're usually done on, like, pay-per-view now. Like the Sensei of Hades episode. Technically considered OAVs. Two episodes at a time through pay-per-view. Yeah, New Getter Robo and Sandal and Complex and stuff like that are similar. The concept of the OAV where there's nothing that existed before this OAV is almost gone, though. Yeah, almost completely gone. You don't ever see it anymore. It's usually now just continuations of TV series or something. So the story of Cyber City, oh, it... There is no story. Come on. This is Kawajiri anime. Let me tell you the manner in which this anime came about. He was drawing shit. And he drew some characters. He's like, oh, these are some pretty cool characters I designed. What personality should they have? I don't know. What reason should we use them for? Uh, I know. I saw Blade Runner and Star Wars and shit. What was up with all those parts in Star Wars and Blade Runner when they're just walking around and not shooting at things? I can fix that. (laughs) That's kind of how Cyber City came about. I mean, apparently, as the story goes, he originally wanted it to be something more akin to Lupin the Third, only with a bit of a sci-fi twist to it. Not quite the Lupin the Eighth pilot that's kind of hard to come by. Mm. But eventually, as production went along, it turned into what it is now, which is pretty much straight-up action. I guess the action differs from part to part. Some are more heavy action than others, I thought. Yeah, but I mean, this is the straightforward, very A to B, what you see is what you get kind of thing. That wasn't originally what he had in mind. He really wanted, at first, sort of a more lighthearted idea. Years later, (laughs) he said there was an anime called Cowboy Bebop that's a little closer to a general concept to the original premise of Cyber City. Maybe some of you have heard of Cowboy Bebop. Kawajiri cannot do lighthearted bullshit. Yeah, that's the thing. He can't do it. He thought that maybe he'd do something like that, and then they fleshed out what the premise was. He's like, you know what? We're going to have to do it a straight-up, hard-boiled sort of action kind of thing. And it turns out it's very hard for Japanese audiences to get into straight-up, hard-boiled, no-jokes action stuff. The other day I was reading about in Japan, the Japanese audiences, they didn't really watch The Dark Knight, but they did watch The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Did a lot better over there. Really? It's not quite as funny as the other mummy movies, and people look at that and they're like, does Japan have no taste? The answer is yes, but (laughs) moreover, it's hard for them to buy into stuff where there's no levity, there's no jokes or anything like that, and that is what Kawajiri's speciality is is and so this is one of those things that even in japan when it came out didn't set the world on fire but like many of kawajiri's things got sort of an audience in the united states back in the early 90s when anime was still largely just the things in blockbuster or whatever cyber city oedo was one of those things that was on the shelf and even here a lot of people didn't necessarily pick it up it was kind of Something they'd see and not really check out. There's a reason for that that I'll go into, and it has to do with the characters. I think it's also got a lot to do with the content. The content is, it's a Madhouse Kawajiri action piece. Very stylish, very slick designs, that sort of thing. It's one of those things that helped give anime its image in America in the 90s. I mean, it wasn't really super gory or loaded up with sex and violence, which is kind of a surprise considering, you know, what we've been talking about Kalajiri stuff in the past. I think actually that's kind of the key there is because it's not like people would watch this and be like, oh man, I got to show this to my bros or whatever, like they would do with Wicked City. 
Well, they should be, because I think this embodies everything I like about Kawajiri and none of the things I don't like about him. For an OAV production, it holds up very, very, very well today. Animation quality is still great. Entirely hand-drawn, hand-animated. I would say they spent about half a year on each episode. There's three episodes. The action is pretty great stuff. If I were to be Mike Dent and describe the show, I would say... This show came out in the mid-90s. The animation quality is awesome. The action is excellent. It blew up Tokyo Tower's ass to stop evil Robocop. Cyber City! Cyber City! Cyber City! Rock over London, rock on Chicago. Pension Justice Unlimited. Why do we keep plugging this site? Because they're actually one of the best anime commentary tracks. They did it about 13 years afterwards, and they said to get the equivalent visuals and effects as seen in this OAV today, you would need at least three times the budget. And that was commentary recorded five years ago, so that number has obviously increased quite a bit. So that means basically that people just cannot do that sort of thing anymore that they animated? Partially, it's very difficult, but there's also not that much incentive to do so for different reasons. The basic premise of this thing, I mean, we know it's an action thing, we know it's Kawajiri. In the 100% synthesizer slash guitar soundtrack provided cyberpunk future, there is the cyber police whose job it is to catch the cyber criminals who get sent into prison. But it's not any prison, it's space prison. The very worst of these cyber criminals get offered a chance at sort of a parole. You know, we'll let you out of jail and you catch crooks. And in exchange for you catching criminals, we'll take a couple years off your sentences. However, you have to be able to perform nearly impossible missions by apprehending the evil cyber criminals. And so to keep them in check, in true Battle Royale style although this came years and years before that, explosive collars are put on their necks if they try to run or if they fail to complete the mission within the time limit. And the time limit can be an hour or 24 hours or whatever. And if they fail to do that, the collar is going to explode and take their head off. Jack Bauer never had to contend with bullshit like this, but Kawajiri, if anything, is a man with no pretension whatsoever. No. <laughs> the scripts to Cyber City and the voice cast, I mean, there's so many great voice actors in it. What they actually say in Cyber City, it doesn't even matter. It could have just been the anime equivalent of Dave Riley reading the Maritime Report, and it would be exactly the same. All the voices in this are kind of big name sort of voice actors of the day, many of whom are, are still remembered to this day. You're, of course, talking about the Japanese side, right? The dub is a whole other grandiose thing. You have to destroy it. That's an order. You have eight hours from now to finish it, or I'll finish you. Ugh, that's fucking typical. God, I hate that bastard. I'm sorry, Gogol. It's not worth being sorry about. This sort of shit happens to me all the time. <laughs> I'll stick with the Japanese side for the moment. There's three episodes, three main characters in Cyber City Oedo, such that each episode kind of focuses on a different member of the team. The first episode is about a guy named Shunsuke Sengoku, or as they call him in the dub, just plain old Sengoku. And he is voiced by Hiroya Ishimaru, who is best known as being the voice of Koji Kabuto from Mazinger Z, the original hot-blooded hero. クソ野郎。こいつ
And he is basically your stock Japanese Yoshiaki Kaojiri hero, kind of like, say, Jubei from Ninja Scroll. Uh, he's got this big, giant, 50s greaser Elvis hair, but that's not enough. <laughs> in addition to the giant Elvis hair, he also has a samurai topknot ponytail thing in the back, and he has this red trench coat. And very much, like Koji Kabuto, is very direct and, you know, loose cannon kind of craziness. Not quite Remy from Burn Up, loose cannon, mm-hmm. offering the lead animas and all that. Exactly. Sengoku, as well as all the other uh, cyber cops, and when I say cyber cop, I don't necessarily mean that they're riding around on toy motorcycles. <laughs> and uh, having the wind-up Chuck <laughs> Norris Karate Commando-style thing. <laughs> but the trademark weapon of the members of the Cyber Police oh. is what's known as a Jite, a telescopic-style one, because it's the future. So I guess that would be a Cyber Jite. That, again, is another sort of reference to ancient Japan. For those of you who don't know what a jite is, it's not a sharp weapon. It's not a bladed weapon. It's mainly used for defense. And the cops in Edo used to carry these things. The idea is that you could use it like a billy club, like how cops would use billy clubs now. If you've ever seen Lupin Third, Inspector Zenigata, he actually carries a jite as his weapon. And that's something that's been passed down to him from generations of his cop ancestors. Kind of like a European kosh, almost, aren't they? Like what? A European kosh? I do not actually know what those are. Basically, I would say like a truncheon sort of thing. Okay. If you've ever played Street Fighter Alpha, then you know about Sodom. He carries Jite. They have this single tine on the side of them. As the story goes, you'd have those, because if you were such a badass with it, you could stop a samurai's blade with the tine part of it and then hit him. Right. The other part. Of course, that's probably exceedingly difficult, but you see it happen all the time in these period dramas. Sengoku, like Taki Rensburo from Wicked City, has this giant fucking gun, this revolver with this ergonomic handle that he just blasts through everything with. He's always defying orders and doing shit and getting into more trouble than is worth. And that's why he was sentenced to 375 years in jail. Hmm. And so every <laughs> time he catches somebody, he gets three years off. But then he mouths off and gets like 10 years added to his sentence. <laughs> And by the time he got out, there were no restaurants left except Taco Bell. Yes, it's a Demolition Man-style way about doing things. I mean, he survived through the time when the only restaurant left was Pizza Hut, and then now he's left in the time where the only restaurant is Taco Bell. That's a rough existence. It is a rough existence, and that's what you have to be to be a Kawajiri action man. The second episode is about a kind of character who you'd never, ever see as an anime protagonist ever again, as far as being a main hero goes. His codename is Goggles, or Goggle. Mm-hmm. Both in the English and Japanese, they refer to him by the name Gogol. But I'm pretty sure they just mean Goggles. His voice is Genda Tesho. And this guy is a Hokuto no Ken thug, if ever there was one. He's this big, muscular, middle-aged man with a Geordie LaForge visor, or maybe Cyclops from the X-Men sort of visor, plus uh, the mohawk and the cut-off tank top, and then a biker jacket with pink lapels on it. <laughs> this guy I thought was one of the most interesting, just because he's such a rarity in anime. He's serving a 310-year sentence because it was basically handed down from the fashion police, I would say, because he's so ridiculous. Interestingly enough, even though he's like the big muscle of the operation, that's not really his purpose in the unit. He mainly is a guy who uses the computer machines. Now you all know where Dutch from Black Lagoon came from. Pale imitator of Goggle. (laughs) I guess he wouldn't really be a pale imitator because Dutch is black. 
But you would not think this guy is a computer hacker. You'd never ever see a lead hero in an anime anymore be this sort of archetype. You'll see him as a supporting character in the background, very much like how Dutch and Black Lagoon is. You have to remember when these OAVs are released, they're released one at a time in Japan. And so you have to sell each and every single episode. The middle episode is all about Goggle, but suffice to say, that one actually sold the least well, even though it might actually be the best episode. It's because people don't go for heroes like that, which is kind of unfortunate. And then the um, third and final member of the team, one of the most infamous members, mm-hmm. a character who might just be the trappiest trap, trappity trap ever conceived in <laughs> anime, Ben 10 or Meryl Yanagawa. Oh, is that the one on the cover? Yes. Because I always remember seeing the cover of this back in the day. And you think, whoa, what a beautiful then, woman. Like, is that a dude or a chick? Yeah, yeah. Here's the story. When I say Ben 10, I don't mean like Ben 10 from Alien Force. I more <laughs> like mean like the, the god of luck. And Ben 10 is a guy with long, beautiful hair and long fingernails painted red who wears red lipstick, possibly wears high heels and has <laughs> flexibility like a lady. Yeah. As the story goes, Kaujiri drew this character to be a woman. Him and Masaru Mariyama were going back and forth, and in the end, it was decided, you know what, let's just cast Kanda Shiazawa and give him a deep voice, and uh, yeah, it's a dude. <laughs> but I'm not going to change the character design at all. He's not gay, he's a handsome man who looks after himself, yep. and that's it. All Kawajiri had in mind was that he wanted somebody who was a hero, yet was more or less the personality with the opposite that of Sangoku's. So, unlike Sangoku, Benten is very calm, very reserved, doesn't rush into things, likes to think things through, wears all white instead of all red. This is a key difference in personalities. And if Sengoku is more like the Jubei Ninja Scroll sort of Kawajiri hero, then Benten is more like the Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust sort of Kawajiri hero. Benten's weapon of choice is monofilament wire. Sweet. Automatic 295 year sentence. Interesting note. Yoshiaki Kawajiri claims that he is the one who came up with the idea for monofilament wire first before William Gibson did. And the idea was that in the old Japanese period dramas, from which this is sort of inspired by, characters would use the strings from the shamisen, that sort of guitar-like thing. They'd use that as a weapon. So Mm. that's where Kawajiri said, oh yeah, that's where I got the idea from. And maybe William Gibson totally saw Cyber City and worked it into Johnny Mnemonic, but, you know, after Wicked City, Kawajiri was also claiming that, oh yeah, everybody after Wicked City started having their characters using their long red fingernails to cut people up. And I have never seen that happen anywhere other than Wicked City, so maybe it is all in Kawajiri's head. Long red fingernails? Well, isn't he pulling that? To cut people in half? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Last but not least, as far as the stellar cast of Cyber City goes, the chief of the cyber police is a guy named Hasegawa. He's always just sitting at his desk smoking cigarettes from his Bic lighter that doubles as his bomb collar detonator. <laughs> he is voiced by Norio Wakamoto, who uh, has a huge following nowadays. He seems to be one of the more recognizable male voice actors, but he wasn't quite in the full-on almost self-parody mode that he is nowadays. He was just kind of the guy in there.
as far as what is going on in this cartoon, if you were to take Star Wars and combine it with John Woo and combine it with Yoshiaki Kawajiri just making shit up as he goes along to do it for the sake of doing it, you would get Cyber City. You've got like the guy who's like, he's a maverick, he's a loose cannon, but he gets results. And his results involve <laughs> driving his Cyber DeLorean full speed off the height of a drawbridge at a 45 degree angle, jumping off the bridge onto a speeding getaway plane in midair. <laughs> At which point the pilot's cybernetic machine gun claw arm opens fire. You would think, oh, that's kind of dumb. But then maybe it's not the best idea to build a skyscraper that's so gigantic it goes up above the clouds and they call it a space scraper. Except the tower is not like more than 20 feet wide. And it needs like a gyroscope to stay up and not tip over. Maybe this is a bad Mm. idea, Kawajiri, but you can't think about that. Because, oh, look, he's got to fight this skeleton in a lab coat that has a cybernetic telekinesis. (laughs) Although he can't predict being stabbed in the forehead. You had the wherewithal to predict the GPS, but maybe they aren't going to be using five and a quarter floppy inch disks. (laughs) And the dot matrix printer. Maybe it'll go all the way back around and then the disks of the future will look like that, but will actually hold seven terabytes. We don't know, because Kawajiri predicted 9-11. I mean, the first episode is all about terrorists flying planes into skyscrapers and making the towers come down. So who knows? If only more people were anime fans, we could have stopped it. (laughs) You can see exactly why this got picked up and licensed. It's... Very, very straightforward action, not very much cultural stuff going on. Right. And since it was a mid-90s dub from CPM, it was recorded in Britain by Manga Entertainment. Oh, boy. The same people who brought us such fine dubs as Angel Cop. Mad Bull. Mad Bull, Violence Jack, the whole manga holy trinity of suck. So you know what that's got to mean. The dub script for Cyber City is... The greatest example of 15ing I have ever seen in my life, which is the act of adding a bunch of profanity in where there never was any, so it would get the higher rating. If you listen to the dub of Cyber City, it is cursing every five seconds. What you are intending to do constitutes illegal entry. I know that, but it's the only way I'll ever get into a special forces base without a search warrant, okay? I cannot approve of such illegal activities. That's okay, it's not you that's doing it. This is true, but if I do not take appropriate action, I'm an accessory to a crime. I must ask you to desist. Look, just fuck off, will you? Fuck off. This is a phrase you frequently use erroneously. The colloquial word fuck, meaning to copulate, is inappropriate when applied to a machine without means of genetic reproduction, as in this instance. I am unsure of what you are suggesting I should do. In any case, it does not alter the fact that you are committing a state crime by violating Code 324. Maybe for once, like we talked about, alluded to in the beginning, that actually might have been warranted, because unlike most of what Kaujiri does, there's no sex in this at all. None. There's actually hardly any nudity. I don't believe there's any nudity, I thought. There's very oh. minor, you see a girl's butt, and that's it. Yeah. So nobody gets raped? Nobody. There's no not thing. even a threatening to be raped, like Demon City Shinjuku had. Wow. And he made this, like, pretty much right after Wicked City and Goku Midnight Eyes. Yeah. And there's also relatively little gory violence, except, of course, for that part where the guy gets jibbed to intestine pieces from the Unreal Tournament impact hammer, and the other part where the dude explodes after being thrown out of an airlock into the cold blackness of space, Mm -hmm. and all those people getting cut up by the monofilament wire, and all the people getting stabbed and shot. Actually, this is pretty tame by Kawajiri standards. Yeah, it is. And it's so hilarious in the commentary track. I mean, he's actually saying, as the director, I did want to make something and be certain 
that children could watch it as well. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on a second. Even though this is the all-time Kawajiri record, because the RPM rate per minute is at an all-time low by his standards, there's still a lot of craziness going on in this. So this is like the Kawajiri family-friendly anime. Wow. By Japanese standards, I think he's not too far off, actually. <laughs> could be. And so, yeah, they might have to punch up the dialogue to get this one the higher rating, even though there's smoking and drinking and firing guns that actually shoot bullets that actually hit people. There is a lot more uh, coarse language in the dub. Hey, Benton, don't crap your pants if you see a vampire out there. Get lost. You wouldn't recognize a goddamn vampire if one jumped up and bit you on the end of your fucking dick. I have talked to people who actually do prefer the English dub over the Japanese because they say, oh, well, these guys are supposed to be hardened criminals, like the worst of the worst. So, yeah, they should have foul mouths. Right. But I think another part of it also has to do with the fact that finding this in Japanese with English subtitles back in the days of VHS, kind of tough. This wasn't released on DVD until years later, and then they made up for that fact in grand fashion because they released this not once, not twice, but three times <laughs> on DVD. Wow. The subtitle script for this is actually, um, it's not the same as the dub, but I get the feeling I'm missing something because they say English words or phrases and they don't appear in the subtitle script. Luckily for me, nothing what they're saying really matters that much. All I can do when I see this is go like, is that like Donna Troy from the DC Universe Wonder Girl? <laughs> there's like this one episode where there's a girl wearing this red jumpsuit and she's got metal bracers on her arms and the oh, weird wow. hair. And then they have another episode with Bridget Nielsen, like how Lucifer from Angel Cop was Bridget Nielsen. In fact, all of episode three might have just been, let's take the character designs from Angel Cop and use them again, because the crazy psychic girl hey. is also in this, only she's all grown up. You never have time in Cyber City Oedo. It's like one minute, walking around, the next second, oh no, cryogenically frozen saber-toothed tigers that have been turned into cyborgs that fire laser beams from their mouths. Two seconds later, I just decapitated that with monofilament wire. I guess that species is extinct again. Before you could even stop and think about what the hell just happened, teleporting psychic space vampires. <laughs> oh, Kawajiri. This is weird because I remember watching this some years ago. I'm thinking nothing of it. I remember. Right? Yeah, I remember thinking nothing of it. And I mean, I was going to bring up that I remember watching this and thinking it was kind of boring. Kind of boring, kind of mediocre. I go back to this, I'm like, holy shit. Every single thing is something goddamn insane. Every member of the team, at some point in their respective episode, suffers getting impaled through the stomach and not giving a shit. <laughs> because I think maybe between this and Wicked City, maybe the designated good guy wound zone for Kawachiri isn't like the American action movies where you get winged in the shoulder. I think it's getting ran through in the abdomen. Think about Ninja Scroll, Jubei, stabbed in the stomach. What's the solution? I'm going to rub some salt in that. Hmm. Oh no, <laughs> the snake vagina woman showed up and I have to stop rubbing salt in my wounds. Hmm. <laughs> this is really weird hearing because none of this I recall. I remember a lot of Sitting around and talking. Lots of sitting around and talking. There's not that much sitting around and talking and nothing going on. I mean, there is some as far as like, okay, gotta go find this guy. Oh no, a crazy skeleton. Oh no, it's RoboCop. Oh no, the hackers have hacked into the satellites. No time to think about that because I'm going to go steal this space shuttle and fly up to the <laughs> height of this tower rather than take the elevator. <laughs> hmm. 
I mentioned like nobody in Japan, they really cared about this when it came out. Most people care about it in America and probably also Britain might have done so just because it was one of the earliest anime releases we got. Sales of this, like I said, fairly slow. Kaujuri does have a very tiny following in Japan, but pretty much what keeps him employed is us in America. This is one of those things, and the reason why I said in the beginning that it was like something that just sort of embodied the 90s OAV idea, is that it was created during the boom period of anime, when there was plenty of OAVs, and you could straight up make things where you just have no consideration whatsoever of appealing to any audience, period. Not made for finding an audience in Japan, not made with like, oh, the American audience, they like stuff like this. It's just, we're going to make something that we want to make, and we're going to put it out there. So Even though we're in a state now where the current industry, where there's so much more anime being made than there ever was. Fall 2008 season for just TV, there are 43-some shows coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Even though that's the case, the level of freedom that was present when they were making Cyber City is gone. You're never going to see anybody do that anymore. Every single thing these days, from character designs to personality traits of your heroes to relationships people have with each other, everything has to be carefully thought about and constructed with, okay, which otaku are going to like this? American crowds, they don't like stuff with this in it. Oh, maybe we should give that useless girl character glasses or redraw the main character's rival. Maybe so he's more handsome and so on and so forth. But Cyber City Oedo is this perfect one DVD that's like the spirit of just something for the sake of doing it. And if nobody buys it, so what? There's enough money going around that we can just keep making stuff. Yeah, because normally that second OAV would be like the end of it. It would either be the end or something that never got made. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, Cyber City didn't sell. Like I said, the leads for that second OAV, which you think would be the end, middle-aged, scarred, muscle-bound guy, and the lead for another episode, really, really androgynous guy character, who you do see a lot of characters like that nowadays, but they're usually not the main hero. They're usually like the rival or maybe one of the supporting characters. There is not very many women in Cyber City Oedo. There's one girl who's incredibly useless, but she doesn't show any skin whatsoever. There's no fan service. And so Madhouse, like we said, they're still working today. They're still making stuff. Hell, they made Black Lagoon, right? And they remember that this came out and nobody bought it. I'm sure at least the people at Madhouse, if not people in the whole anime industry, could point to things like Cyber City and go, huh, well, that was worthwhile a thing that we did, but it also didn't sell. We always give shit to Hiroyuki Yamaga from Gainax for him doing his interviews nowadays where he's like, oh yeah, Wings of Oniamis, that was fun. Yeah. But now we've got to do Mahoromatic because Wings of Oniamis didn't sell. I don't regret doing Wings of Oniamis, but when we make stuff, maybe we should put in cute girls. Nowadays, they have to think now what the consumer base being what it is. Right. What do we do? So you never ever see that. Like I said, if characters like Goggle are there at all, they're supporting characters. Dutch isn't even close to being the main character of Black Lagoon. It's definitely Rock and Revy. And Dutch isn't even really the same type of character. Like, Dutch doesn't really seem nearly as old, but I know what you mean. That's based off the manga. I mean, that's not yeah. really a decision that Madhouse made. But it also affects what gets chosen to be made into anime yeah. in the first right, place. Right, right. Something like that is a factor when you even make something like, what's a manga that'll sell? Well, I mean, you can probably blame Shonen Jump for a lot of it. A lot of that is Shonen Jump, yeah. They started doing their 
reader surveys. Right. And so they would make a ton of decisions based on the responses they would get from readers. Oh, I like that character. Oh, I don't like that character so much. That's very, very true. I keep going back to the commentary, but there's one quote that I actually transcribed because I think it's probably the most telling as far as what they thought back then and what they think now that they're a lot more older and not quite broken down, but battle-hardened, let's say. They're talking about the fact that, you know what, people didn't really go for Cyber City. The few people who saw it tend to like it, but it was generally this thing that people kind of passed over, like they'd see it on the shelf and not really go for it. And the quote says something like this. Before you purchase an anime, if you see on the packaging cute boys or cute girls or beautiful guys or pretty ladies, then more viewers will be interested to at least pick it up and hold it in their mm -hmm. hand, and read what's on the back. That's how Burn Up got made. <laughs> Here we have a title that was telling them, we don't have any of these things whatsoever. Right. That narrowly limited the people who would even take this into their hand. So unless you liked the Kaujiri films already, unless you already enjoyed the hard-boiled sort of action piece, or just from random chance picking this up saying, hey, this could be cool, there's a very limited appeal to Cyber City Oedo. I mean, in short, there's an extremely small entrance to this film. I mean, if you see it, you'd enjoy it. But there's something lacking in attracting viewers, and that's our shortcoming here. And now that OAVs don't exist anymore, we live in a world where you have to make TV shows, and TV shows have to appeal to a larger audience because right. of ratings, because of getting sponsors for commercials. Theatrical movies have to bring in even more people than that. So mm -hmm. the days of something like Cyber Studio 8 are, are gone forever. And as sad as depressing as that is for me, it's also very true. When you talk about Kawaji's credentials, like I said, you kind of forget that the Cyber City is even out there compared to Ninja Scroll, compared to Vampire Hunter D. And for OAVs to be viable, they said, you would need to sell per OAV 20,000 to 30,000 copies. And I'll tell you right now, market doesn't exist for that. We're lucky in America right. if something breaks 1,000 copies. Yeah. If a show is on Cartoon Network, you're lucky if it sold 2,000. I know we've said in the past the advent of the OAVs are kind of what led to what the anime industry where it is now, instilling this mentality you're only targeting this small niche group of otaku instead of everybody, like how anime in the 70s and 80s were, Heidi and stuff like that. But at the same time, I do miss that the OAVs aren't there anymore because I think they provided a very good middle tier. I think it's hard to do the crazy experimental stuff for TV because mm. there's rules regarding what you can do, what you can't show as far as content. There's running times, there's budget restrictions. You have to get things done in a fast amount of time. You couldn't spend six months on an episode of a TV show. Even if it's something very expensive like Macross Frontier, you've got deadlines that are very set in stone. Not so much with OAVs. And because of that, it's very hard for would-be creators to actually grow up and mature in their craft, in my opinion, since they don't actually have the opportunity to spread their wings further than the realm of what you can get away with on TV. I mean, we've talked about on this show many times, so many of today's anime directors are senior citizens. They're old guys. It wasn't always this way. Yasuhiro Imagawa, the guy who made Giant Robo... He was 28 when he got to direct Mr. Ajiko, and Kunihiko Ikuhara, the guy who made Revolutionary Girl Utena, he was 29 when he directed Sailor Moon R. I know those are both television shows I just mentioned, not OAVs, but it brings up the question, how much of that is because they consider themselves the only guys suited for the job on account that they were able to do the kinds of crazy shit back in the 80s and early 90s when there was money to go around and they could experiment? That level of experimentation doesn't really exist quite so much anymore, and it's much harder for up-and-coming talent to 
actually establish themselves. We talked about the release of this. There's several different releases. I'm not going to go into all of them, but the best one to get is probably Cyber City, the final collection. That's all three episodes on one disc, plus these commentaries I'm talking about. The dub, the sub, you get sketches, artwork, all that stuff. You want to stay away from the older releases. There were problems with the authoring and all that. The only problem is this is a CPM title. Almost all their stuff is out of print. It's very hard to find. The final collection was released about three years ago. And even three years ago, that was something they'd basically throw at you for free if you went to the table. Yeah. You can find this online in a few places. I think Amazon has a couple of shops selling it for $10. $10 is actually the MSRP of it new when it came out. Funny story, I read the old press release since the Anime News Network, they keep all the old press release archives. The final collection of Cyber Studio 80 was offered from March 8, 2005 to April 30th. You had that one month, if you were a retailer, to buy it, and then it's gone. I guess the easiest way I could really say to see this, I mean, uh, like everything that gets made, there are dual audio Region 1 rips out there on the internet. You can go and find them with relatively little difficulty, but I do encourage you to get the DVD there are some very interesting extras on there if you can find places selling it. If you've never seen this or maybe you watched it a long time ago, I do think it holds up. I think it's as good as it was when it first came out. It doesn't really look old. I mean, it is dated by the fact that it's all hand-drawn animation. The supposedly future technology is a lot of ways goofy in today's modern day and age. Like everything Kawajiri made up till Ninja Scroll, this is a wash in the color blue. So I hope you like that color. Check this out. If anything, even if you don't like it that much or you think it's very plain and average, the commentaries alone are worth it. We talked about how Masaru Mariyama is very interesting to hear talk. We've got an interview with him that we'll someday post. Mm -hmm. He can talk for anything and be very interesting. And Yoshiaki Kawajiri is so straight up. He doesn't really hold anything back. I mean, he straight up admits in this commentary track, you know what? Yes, I'm a one-trick pony. But you know what? <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki is also a one-trick pony, Okay. His thing is cute young little girls, and my thing is tough middle-aged guys. Too bad for me tough middle-aged guys don't quite sell the tickets as much as young girls, but it is what it is. Kawajiri is glad he's still working and still making the same stuff he's always is because no one else is going to do it. One final note, much like many of the other CPM anime releases of the time, Tim Eldred did do the comic book release, adapting Cyber City Oedo into a comic book oh boy. that was sold in America, much like how I have the MD Geist one, and there's also the Armor Trooper Votoms mm -hmm. thing. Tim Eldred did that. You can find that with relatively little difficulty. I mean, I, I see it here on Amazon right now. At this point, Steve Harrison demands, I say, Hey, Tim Eldred, you know that guy James the Angry Otaku and that Ninja Can Sell Notacon report? He was there representing the company that owns the rights to Yamato. Please, please contact him and see if he can put you in touch with those people so you can finally get the original uncut Yamato on DVD in America. I don't know why Steve doesn't have the balls to just tell this to Tim directly and relay this message himself, <laughs> but there you go. I will point out, if you so desired, that yeah, you can just download all of Yamato uncut right now, courtesy of fan subs provided by Central Anime. I mean, you go to that website... All of Yamato, all of Legend of Galactic Heroes, all of Touch. But you need a high-speed connection for that. All of Raydeen. All this stuff back in the days when Cyber City 08 was out would take you years to amass. But it's all there. It's like candy. If you've got the internet for it. So don't be put off by the fact that nobody talks about Cyber City 08. Don't be let down by the fact that Ben 10 is the ultimate trap human being. That he basically took the girl from program from the Animatrix and gave him a guy's voice and said, yep, you know, I'm done. It's a guy. Deal with it. 
don't feel hesitant in questioning your sexuality and saying like, oh, well, I like Cyber City Uedo. I guess I better pick up dog style now because that's how I swing this way from now on. <laughs> that's already happening for Gundam 00. Tiaria's making all the fanboys gay. Benton beats out Tiaria. That's all I have to say. I wonder yeah. if people were just so angry when they picked up the video because Benton is on the cover of every one of these releases that I saw. <laughs> and this is like... But he's also the best character! Well, I mean, it's like, y you see this, you're not an anime fan, but you're like, wow, that's a beautiful-looking woman. I'm gonna watch this. And then, you know... <laughs> oh, wow. Surprise! Yeah. Deep voice, dude. Whatever. Oh, Everyone well. loves traps. Everyone learns to love traps. If you're down with just the crazy action of, like, and suddenly I have to <laughs> have a sniper duel after falling down an elevator <laughs> shaft, and it's not going to be any sniper duel, it's going to be a sniper duel with a woman who's got one pant leg, and the other side <laughs> is no pants, and she's wearing giant shades, and a crew cut. <laughs> then immediately right afterwards, they're going to set this bomb to go off on my head if I don't apprehend this killer vampire, because there are vampires in the future. Also, there's a point where they destroy a robot by Shoryuken dragon punching it in half. After punching the robot in the face repeatedly. And also stomach. The robot's stomach. That's the kind of anime this is. <laughs> Do look into Cyber City Oedo, because it's got a lot of laser beams, screaming skulls, with a lab coat on. <laughs> You'll never see that ever again in anime because they aren't going to get away with it. I do strongly, strongly enjoy this and I uh, was totally surprised by it because again, I didn't even remember it. Yeah. How could I have forgotten it? Anime Pacific actually reviewed Cyber City Oedo way, way back in episode 17. That was in April 2007. As I checked their webpage, they actually also say that this is, in their opinion, Kawajiri's best, an absolute classic which marks the orgasm of the Age of OAVs. They quoted a review from a website that basically summed it up. They said, Ghost in the Shell may be cyber, Akira may be punk, but when I think of cyberpunk, I think of Cyber City 080808. I gave Dave and Joel the chance. I gave them like a year advance notice. Like, you know, Cyber City 080 is yours if you want it, dude. And it was like, I don't even remember Cyber City 080. You're a loss. They probably wouldn't have liked it. Bastards. <laughs> And that wraps up episode 72 of Anime World Order. Hope you enjoyed it. What are we going to be doing next episode? In the next episode, I'm going to be taking a look at a show that came out, what, a year or two ago? And uh, just recently finished its release cycle over here. A show that, on the surface, appears to be absolutely disgusting and filthy. It's because who made it? If you mean, like, the original American company. No, I was going to say what anime people made it. I thought that's what was the clue in that it was disgusting and filthy from the surface. <laughs> oh, I have no idea who you're talking about right now, Daryl. So. Gonzo? Uh, I don't know if Gonzo made this. I didn't even check. Uh, only Gonzo could have made it. Okay, anyway, I'm going to be taking a look at the filthy and disgusting, on the surface at least, show Witchblade, based on the Top Cow comic books, which I can't believe there are actually fans of. But yeah, there are, and we know some. Yeah, it seems like it would be like the kind of thing that, oh, the only reason that people ever read that thing is because they couldn't download porn yet. Yeah. But apparently there are people who like Witchblade. 
somehow. Yeah, this is, uh... Look, there are people who like anything. And a lot of wrong people. As evidenced by the number of fans there are of All-Star Batman and Robin. New issue that... Woo! It's probably uh, a good idea that they didn't read any of the original comic book before making this show. So. Yeah, because it has nothing to do with the comic. <laughs> nothing at all, except maybe the basic bare premise. The name premise. Witchblade. Yeah, that's and about that's it. that's about it. And that's a good thing. So is it better or worse than the live-action Witchblade television series? You can only go up from there. You can only... <laughs> if you put just a black screen for an hour, that is going up from there. Which wins in a fight? The live-action Witchblade television series or Mutant X? I never saw Mutant Ooh. X, ever. Oh, well, ADV releases it on DVD. Oh, dear. Oh. Or at least they used to. I don't know. Yeah, That's it's a pretty, tough one. pretty oh, horrible how about thing. a black screen? Birds of Prey. <laughs> Remember the TV show they made out of that one? Oh, fuck. I was trying to forget about it. Let's never speak of it ever again. And the way we will forget of it is by watching the cartoon that I'm going to be reviewing next week. It is a three-part OAV that should, hopefully by the time this next episode comes out, be available to purchase from Manga Video. It is pretty recent. Three-part OAV called Straight Jacket. Cool. And I will be taking a look at a, a fairly short TV anime, which, to my knowledge, has not been licensed for release in the U.S. I do not know why. It seems like the stupidest thing ever to not have gotten this yet. It is very good, and it is a merchandising cash cow. That is the series Moyashimon, or Tales of Agriculture. So look forward to that, and again, if you would like to drop us a line about any of the stuff that we talked about this episode, or any thoughts about what we're going Going to be talking about, please feel free to comment on the website, animeworldorder.com, or email us, animeworldorder at gmail.com, or you can always leave us a voicemail message at 206-666-4AWO, and we will see you, hopefully not too long after this episode is released. <laughs> <laughs>